Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners Aaron Jones and Wes Otto as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond. Should make you high-pitched. Should. Honor of uh, Barbie is in theaters this weekend. I feel like we should make you into Barbie. Are you going to see it? Robbie. Or have you already? No, I saw uh, Oppenheimer. I went to that last night. Yeah. It was good. Both. A what? Oppenheimer. A who? You don't know? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. The bomb? The, this, uh, yeah. The, the Robert Oppenheimer. The A-bomb. Oh. Um, both movies released this past week slash weekend, and both yeah. were huge. Barbie won out, though. Oppenheimer was huge. Yeah, $155 million for Barbie, and I think it was 80 or maybe 80-plus yep. for Oppenheimer. And so, and Oppenheimer's cast was phenomenal. Robert Downey Jr., you you know he can act because he's done good movies before, but whew, another level. I haven't good. seen either one of them, but I was asking... Three hours, by the way. For, for Oppen- Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Wow. It's long. Wow. It's good. So... I was curious about the Barbie thing because I have a lot of uh, people that work at Jay Long's that were all pumped about it. And a bunch of the gals were dressing all up in pink and going to the show. Young and old. I mean, I was talking to people all, all last week. But um, I just am curious if I was going to like it. You know, if I want to take Molly there for a date night. I grew up with not necessarily me playing with Barbies. Although you want to take Molly? I thought he was with Molly. Yeah, there's going <laughs> to be a lot Molly? of Mollies here. <laughs> What's go. so? I have a sister named that's Molly. That's kind of weird. We share. I have a sister named Molly. <laughs> we share Molly. <laughs> my only sister. Oh, my. Here we go. Yeah. We're starting this right. off it's strong. It's confusing. Here, folks. <laughs> yes, his sister's named Molly. I'm married to Molly, and he's dating a Molly. So There's a lot of Mollies in I our world. I like to keep it confusing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so my sisters, I grew up with two sisters, two brothers. My sisters played with Barbies all the time, right? And, of course, I just... Basically, strip the clothes lift, off. Exactly, <laughs> lifted up the skirts. He beat me to it. He beat me to. He, Ken had kung fu grip kid. in Aaron's world. <laughs> curious kid, right? So I'm like, ah, I grew up with you know being around Barbies. Maybe I'll love the movie. So I don't know yet because uh, I haven't been. But I'm gonna I'm gonna probably give it a shot. I don't Why know not? if the clothes come off enough for you in that movie, Jonesy. Uh, well, well, if they don't, I'm giving it a bad rating. There so, you go. So because that's came up. I have co- uh, there's a intern, temporary employee for the summertime while she's between school. And she came over. She's like, you know, I think you need to have some farm Barbies in your office because I have tractors and stuff or whatever. And she's like, I bet they make them. And I'm like, I have no idea. So the joke is now is I need, you know, farm Barbies because of this movie. So I realized that one's coming out. But Mm -hmm. uh, the other one, no. But I'm interested in that one. So I'll check that out. It's good. They did a really nice job with it. And before we jump off of Barbie fully, because I feel like you guys should have done a a marketing video on that. That would have been gold for you guys. Jay Long's Barbie. You probably couldn't. You get sued, probably. One of the gals um, did a little um, TikTok thing where, you know, they... You have the voice behind it. You match it up real quick. I think that's TikTok. I don't know. I can't keep up. But where we were all saying, hi, Barbie. So we did a little video. Lauren yeah. did. Um, so that's about all we did. Gotcha. But you're right. We should have probably harnessed I mean, the energy. It's your world. Yeah. Right? I mean, Fashion. especially on the women's side. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. still time. It's still in the theater, right? That's true. Good true. point. We could true. do something. Whip it up. You got your pink underwear on tonight? Sam? No. No, didn't Dang. wear He's like, oh, I didn't wear any. No. Could have shot okay. it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say I didn't wear any, but yeah, no. Studio's open. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. If guests are probably getting into the rolling start here, we've yeah. got Sam Ziegler with us from Green Seam, and we appreciate you coming on, and, and you're going to talk about yourself, but also some 
ag because that's what green seam is right i mean it's it's the epicenter of agriculture for southern minnesota and beyond i'm here to answer your questions and hopefully entertain and have some fun yeah well we texted uh at least i did text a few people ahead of this and so i've got some different questions for you when it comes to travel and and uh you're not just in green seam you've still got your own farm too right right yeah my story kind of goes back to uh i you know went to school and good thunder to the lutheran school and then i went to the public school in amboy which there's no Neither one of those are open anymore. <laughs> sure. Finished off in Mapleton, which that one's not there anymore either. <laughs> You're uh, close it, to starting, schools, Sam. Yeah, I was going to say, is there something about you, Sam, that is, <laughs> is it we're done here? Scores? The state just said close them down? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, at least Mapleton's got a you know a nice new school, which is really amazing. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I did, did that and stayed there at the farm. And then when I graduated, literally within the month, I moved out a quarter mile. Ooh. Very big move. Quarter mile, and yeah. I'm still there. Yeah. Same house? Same house. Well, yes and no. We completely yeah. removed every almost wall. Sure. <laughs> moved the driveway, moved the entire little bit of everything, but same well, property neat. house, yeah. That is cool. Was it on the family farm or near the family farm then? So it's a quarter mile down the road from where our original family farm was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my parents and my grandfather bought the place in the 90s. And it was so it was a rental house for a few years. Sure. And then uh, I'm like, that's good for me. It works for me. <laughs> okay. And so you went into the farming industry right out of, uh, yeah, right so, out of school? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our family's family farm, um, grandfather, both, both sides, my mom and dad farmed. Um, and I was just that kid that. There was nothing else yeah. in the world more important than getting out with the animals, the crops, outside every day. Um, and so, yeah, I knew probably as far back as I can remember that farming is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to figure out how to do it, you know. So I went right into um, farming, even bought a tractor when I was 18, you know, and most people are thinking about maybe their first car already. That was back when I was 15 <laughs> because of farm permit. Yeah. Um, but uh, bought my first tractor when I was 18 and uh, and then went to school. Do you remember how much it cost you? Uh, it was $10,000. Now, in comparison to today, what would, a, what would a good top of the line or at least a comparable? Let's go that So way. let me give you this comparison. So that tractor we still use, it used to be the highest horsepower tractor we got. It was what my family uh, had actually bought brand new in the 60s. And so I bought it from my grandfather, and uh, today it's only big enough to run an auger. <laughs> but to take that story one, uh, we had some problems with it last fall, so um, we do a lot of our own repair work, but this one we said, let's take it in. And it's going to cost me about five grand just to fix it. Ooh. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but yeah, and compared to today's tractors, um, you know, it's, it's not even one tire or one track. Right. Right? I mean, yeah, it's so crazy. You're putting a couple tracks on a piece of veneer. You're going to spend ten grand each each side. So you're going to fix it, or are you going to retire it and hang it up in the barn? No, I still need it for that auger. Okay, okay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we have keep a, it running. We have a planter hung up in our shed yeah. uh, that was originally from uh, horses, mm-hmm. drawn by horses, and it's in good shape. And so it's you know yeah. what else do you do with it? It's light enough that it just hangs from the rafters. But right, yeah, who knows? Was, Maybe something will break down. You'll need it. <laughs> Get some horses. That's, that's some real history there. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, Fourth well, generation, right? 
So is it when when you really count back? I'm the fifth. You're the fifth generation. I'm the fifth generation. So uh, family farm, uh, 1918. Uh, was originally bought by my great grandfather, okay. um, who um, then my great grandfather that I did know married his daughter, and he was the hired hand. So you know, marrying the farmer's daughter um, was reality in this case. It's a country but song on that. There is right, <laughs> um, but he came from uh, my great grandfather. Then uh, came in 1911 from Germany to get out of the war, hmm. um, and uh, he was I think 14. And he, parents sent him away. He missed his stop in the Twin Cities, took the train all the way to Sioux Falls direction before he realized it and got back and eventually got down here to Southern Mankato where there's a sponsor because you had to sponsor and had to have a skill and all that stuff. But I don't know. It's hard to imagine. We'll talk about traveling here a little bit later, but I didn't travel until, oh gosh, what was I, 26, 28, you know, internationally and... 14 years old here, get on a frigate. Yeah. However long it takes, then get on a rail in, in New York. He didn't go through Ellis Island um, because he was on the commercial side of the, not the passenger train. And, and we don't know exactly which location, but anyway, then he got on, a, got through that, got on a train and had to come to Minneapolis or St. Paul then where he was supposed to get picked up from, uh, from the family here that would have got up to St. Paul somehow. <laughs> Do it all at 14. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's even more insane. Yeah. Um, so 1918. Yeah, it was our family farm. Yeah. And that was, is that the same piece of land that you guys are on today or is it moved, shifted? How's N- it look? Nope. So we had other family or relatives that are, was already settled here, but that farm here today, um, is kind of our main home farm location. My parents still live on that place. Um, and so, yeah, that's a quarter mile from where I Ac- moved into this house. In acreage? How much, how many acres? So, um, for people that don't think of acres, right? Sure. Is, um, is one acre is a football field. Okay. Um, um, if you talk about Central Park in New York, that's about 620. And we're about double of Central Park. Okay. A little over 1,200. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, we're right in that ballpark today. Which what's, a, what's a hectare? Isn't there a, a term? 2.2. 2.2 2. 2. 2. 2 acres, acres is a hectare. hectare. So, what is the why, okay. what's the reason for that? Um, if you go to um, Europe or um, it's a little more of the metric system, sure. Um, and so, yeah, we'll talk in in hectares for sense. them. Okay. Well, in spirit of my European roots, um, if, is it fine if we refer to all acreage talk as hectares tonight on the Get Deep Podcast? That, that's fine. I can do <laughs> okay. it. Okay. All right. Good. You're, you're gonna confuse anyone. I'm, later I'm on, already confused, but. and we haven't even started, so uh, don't well, do that. What was the size of the? Do you remember kind of roughly the size of the farm throughout the years? Like, how did it grow? Because I can't imagine it was 1,200 to start with. You know, it's it's um it's growing pretty methodically, pretty consistent over those years. Um, you know, some of the land that we run isn't, we don't own it. Um, you know, a little fun fact, there's 56% of the land owned in Minnesota is not owned by somebody even in the same county. Um, and that number keeps increasing. Wow. So people that are farming don't necessarily own that land. But, and and this is as much a question as it is a statement, <laughs> I, I think I'm right on this. Uh, you can't own Minnesota farmland if you're not a Minnesota resident. There's a a, fa- a corporate farm law yep. that uh, goes in effect. I don't remember what year it was. It's back quite a few years, but I think in the 80s. 
Um, and it's now just really coming into uh, headlines as we've seen um, Hollywood stars and other um, super wealthy individuals try to buy farmland and uh, Minnesota's there's, there's ways around things, but for the most part um, we, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, good. I, I thought I was right on that, but yeah. I wasn't a hundred percent. Yeah. It gets a little finicky and how it all works, but um, yeah. yeah, you can't be just a corporation roll in and saying as an investment, I'm going to buy a bunch of a farmland without having certain parameters um, versus uh, South Carolina or, other states, you can be a Chinese company and buy land. Well, I was at a political event recently for um, local congressmen, and I think one of the, the members uh, of the public that were there asked a question about security related to land, when especially farmland and ownership. I think there was something either South Dakota or North Dakota, and China owned some land that was close to a military base. You probably know. All, you're already smirking, so I know you know uh, what the background story is on that, but maybe that's a, a good topic just in segue from this. You know, it's, it's interesting, and, and really um, there's a few things, right, that we all learned coming out of COVID, uh, but one of those was the importance for food, importance of food. It wasn't just our, our country learned it, but other countries learned this um, of when it comes down to it, what does a person really need? You know, you really don't even need medical attention unless you can eat and have water. And so out of some of that has came that agriculture was just this thing. Um, it's less than, it's closer to 1% of the U.S. population today farms, where if you go back to the, you know, 50s, you had 60, 70% of population in America farmed. Um, and so things changed a lot, but through that, it's became a little bit of a rising uh, component that people didn't really think about of when we think of national security. And so now there's, um, there was a lot of mergers, a lot of changes and dynamics and food and ag and not really a lot of attention paid to it. Um, but COVID kind of brought up of going, okay, what's the basics that we really need? And all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, where's this stuff made? Where's yeah. it coming from? Who, who owns that process? Yeah. And um, now there's more questions being asked. And uh, really out of that is more attention put on things like the North Dakota story. But there's a lot of those um, of who really owns the land and do they need to be owning the land? And then what the plan is for. And of course, you know, in that case, when it's close to an airport, Air Force base. Um, but in all those stories, it's the NIMBYs that came out you know, the not in my backyard folks, you know? Um, and so that was a little of the story too, that he sure. doesn't quite catch the headlines as much, but you know, the saying, everybody wants a cell phone tower, but they don't want to <laughs> see it blinking. You know, everybody wants clean energy, but they don't want a solar panel or a windmill next to them. Go put it somewhere else. And surely everybody loves bacon. Yep. And I think the smell is, it smells like money, but some people think it stink. <laughs> so, you know, is that you get a little of that that comes out. Yeah, I'm used to that being, you know, co-host with Aaron. But, yeah, I can hey. see how that would be an issue for some folks. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good way to break it down, though. That's good. It's a yeah. good reminder, you know, uh, of one of those situations, yeah, that came to light. Another thing from Stupid 2020 that people had to consider about egg. I feel like we sometimes hear locally – myself included, live in this epicenter. You know, we, we live with all these fields around us, but we're, so many people are hunkered down in the city. And I want, I'm curious your opinion on this. Hunkered down here, drive through it. My wife, honestly, bless, bless her heart. But 
as we're driving to the city, she could care less about the farm fields. You know, she's mm-hmm. in deep in her phone reading something or whatever. I find it beautiful. I find the rolling hills and everything around southern Minnesota. And as you travel north or south uh, to be really pretty. And then I think to myself about back 75, 100, 150 years about the early colonials, you know, people that were here. Obviously, there's Native Americans as well. But just like what the land looked like and the little farms plotted all over and everything. So I just, I guess I'm just thinking in my mind for you being that you grew up in your fifth generation farmer when you're operating in this market and you're operating in, you know, green seam and everything, do you find um, that people have a lot of questions like that? Like they don't know, even though egg runs this economy when farmers do well and egg does well, the rest of us do really well. It's a trickle down effect. Do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, no, I completely do. And I can take this 20 different directions. I feel like we could have a whole segment here, you know, and even my own perceptions change. So you know, grew up on the farm, wanted to farm, followed my dad and my grandfather's around, you know, was a little, little mini me running around behind him everywhere. Um, and then started saying, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to South Central Technical College at that time um, and do ag. And then I'm going to go back and farm full time. Um, and so my world, that's all I knew. Well, if uh, you look at the weather patterns in the late 90s, early 2000, uh, 2002, 2001, we had a lot of rain. And so the farm I had the opportunity to rent uh, because I couldn't buy a farm at that age, um, drowned it out three years in a row, um, a larger percent every year. And I'm like, I can't sustain this, you know? So at this point I'm in the debt, in the hole, you know, young, not married yet. And then uh, I'm like, okay, I got to get out and do something else because this isn't going to, I can't even pay my own bills. So um, look for other opportunities and, um, ended up getting hired at the Minnesota Soybean Growers and Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, which have an office here in Mankato, their state office. And when you got into that and you started looking at, well, where's these markets go to? Where's your beans? Where's your corn? Where's your wheat? Where's, you know, where's the value add to this and where's it go? And, and I, the international stuff came in and I realized there's more people or it feels like more people in the world that look for their food every day um, and they see what we have here. Um, and the way I mean that is that if you look at where people live, most people live in a desert, they live on a mountain, or they live on a coast or in a polluted area. They don't grow food. Most of the world doesn't grow food where they live. And so when they see the Midwest, they watch the Midwest weather. They, they know our weather. I mean, I'm watching as a farmer, and we sometimes give, you know, KYC, they got weather on all the time. Why do they got to do that? There's people around the world that are watching it just as close because – they don't grow food, but they're consumers. And so that opened up an eye of like appreciation beyond like, I'm a farmer, this land is great, and I love the beauty and the look of it for sure. But it opened up that there's other people around the world that see that. And yet we have folks locally that are like, it's just another cornfield, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, what a disconnect, right? We take it for granted. Um, and we live here because we grew up here and we have all this stuff. Another part of the world's like, where do we get our next ship of protein or energy from? So there, there is that disconnection. Um, we also are on a period, the um, largest gap or largest um, generation gap from production farming um, into um, our communities that we've had ever. And so when you look at three, four, generations removed from their family that farmed the the concept of of farming typically goes back to um 
the Red Barn. Uh, it goes back to Little House on the Prairie. It goes back to those iconic um, features or symbols of what a farm, successful farm looks like and have a hard time grasping on what it looks like today. And um, ag industry or farmers, myself or others have like, we're doing it now, but I'd say five, 10 years ago, we weren't embracing the fact of invite them out, open your doors. There's nothing secretive here, but we operated for so long of like people left the farm because they yeah. didn't want that lifestyle. And we forgot to go come back. We got a story to tell. There's something to show you where your food, your next meal, your next protein shake, whatever it's coming from right here. Um, and so we try to do, we try to do that. Is that still an uphill battle or are you seeing a little bit of a shift? Um, I would say that the, the producers or the ag industry opening their doors and welcoming people and uncovering the cloth or opening up the shades, let people see, I'd, I'd say it's changed. Um, that's, you know, most places now are like, yeah, what do you, what do you want to know? Um, I think what's changed is how do you communicate? How do you market? How do you talk with folks? How do you reach them now when they're not just in the next town five miles from you? You know, the majority of the world now lives in urban, urban centers. Right. Um, and uh, to, to get them to say, yeah, that's what I should do for a half a day. I should drive down to Good Thunder, Minnesota. is usually not on their agenda. <laughs> well, you said something about bacon, right? So I think you could probably get quite a few people there, at least two. True. There's bacon there. True. You know, the, um, the groups locally that have done a really cool job is um, – the local farm bureaus and corn growers, the local groups have had breakfast on the farm. Yep. And they're getting 1,000, 2,000 people come out. And it's uh, awesome. You get bacon or sausage and eggs yeah. and, and pancakes. And, and that's a, it's a great starting point, but it's, you can only learn so much in a segment of time. But there is that, um, you know, where is stuff made, right? Who grew it? What are you putting on it? Why are you doing that? It gets pretty complicated. It's hard to talk about in a soundbite. Yeah, we just had the Genzel family farm in the uh, the last issue of Connect in May, and that was one of their big initiatives is, is breakfast on the farm. Come on out. Yeah. Check it out. Be here. And I just, I think that's so cool. And it's funny when you're in an urban environment watching individuals that have never experienced it, right? Like you think about the state fair and, and those agricultural buildings up there and you're, you're just you're looking through things, and I'm I'm one of them, right? So I'm I'm laughing at my own kind in that sense. But you you watch um, the Karen of the world walk through in high heels, going, "Oh, look it smells at the, funny in here. Look at the package on that horse." <laughs> just whatever the the comments are, the things that they pick out. You're not checking out the package oh, on the horse. Gosh, I mean, not me. No, I mean you. When we went at that one time, you were obsessed with that one horse. Always comparing. That's just my <laughs> part of my life. Right? It's boring. But, but I mean, it's it's funny, right? Because you you brought up a really good point: the generational gap. I mean, we used to have. Uh, many generations, not many, but a few generations ago, we all were connected by grandparents. By by and large, at least one grandparent had right. some sort of agricultural roots. Now it's so few and far between. Right. I mean, when you really think that we're pushing 1% of the total U.S. population is involved in production agriculture, now it breaks off from there and hopefully we get into ag isn't just farming, mm -hmm. but that's the grass, you know, roots um, right down to nails on or dirt under your fingernails, Right but less than 1%. Yeah. And um, that's not world or globally. That's just, that's just here in the U S. So the, now I'm, I'm, 
You go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, so I think you kind of touched on the gap, right? You're talking about the, a, a lot of, like a lot of industry, the farmers are getting older, right? A lot of these family farms have dad, grandpa still working on the farm, and maybe one of the five kids, four kids, three kids decides they want to be a part of that. I'm sure you've come across that story many times. Um, is that why that keeps dwindling down? Is it the age, is it the interest plus the, you know, the grandma, grandma, grandpa, dad are getting older and there's just not the next generation that wants to keep doing it or, you know, it's, well, is it a multitude? Of there's a, there's a lot of things, right? I mean, it's, it's a cyclical business that there's periods of time. If you look back that were extremely profitable and you had more of the family come back to join the business versus other years where it was, um, catastrophic, right? So seventies was great for ag eighties. Absolutely terrible. Um, Denny Dotson mentioned the eighties was tough on him. Well, they did a lot of farm equipment, right? It, it went hand in hand, right? With hurting their business as well. And so you didn't see many people come back in the eighties. The it was the late eighties. And so then, um, now you know, we've had a couple periods in the 2000, 2005 to eight or so. And 13, 14, we've had another good period here in the last few years. And so you'll see more people come back that, but at the same time, it's a, it's a family business, but it's no different than a family, um, a family restaurant, a family hardware store, a family, you know, all those that to make the similar amount of lifestyle living, you have to have, you have to be bigger. You have to have scales of efficiency. Um, you know, we're, Roughly, you can compare many of the commodity prices back to what they were in the 70s, 50s, 40s, you know, but what's the difference today? We're using less inputs and we're raising more bushels, more tons, um, and so we have to add more hectares um, to our to our <laughs> operation. Um, a hectare is 2.2 acres for you all <laughs> listening. Um, and so you had to scale... But yet it's this industry, especially farming, that's kind of romanticized that, well, how could you do that? Like, you don't need to be a thousand acres to have a farm. And now it's like one family is, takes about a thousand acres per family. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second, too. I mean, the scalability piece, you, we were talking about your tractor, right? $10,000. Let's let's think about uh, another common piece of equipment and i'm going to let you choose the, the the piece but i mean the size that you have to be as a farm to be able to afford it yourself if you're not co-oping with other farmers give us a sense of the scale that's required the the, the i guess the easiest way i try to describe it um, whether it's international guests that have been my farm or whether it's kids or adults is each farm has a ferrari and if you think of a ferrari you can put a number to that right there's Older ones, newer ones, you know, but you're a couple hundred thousand to a million or whatever dollars, right? How many days a year do you actually use it? Yeah. You know, three, four weeks a year, right? That's that's a combine. Mm -hmm. So that combine is a combination of, of gathering, threshing, separating seeds, harvesting. That's hence the name combine or combination of multiple jobs that were originally before the today machine is in place but it's critical um, especially when it comes to more northern regions your time frame for uh, planting harvest are are very much narrowed because we're you know we're trying to get the snow off the field or snow to melt off the field and we want to get it out before the snow comes or that that 
weather pattern comes. And so um, you, you have to, you know, so there is some sharing and there is some cooperating of, of a certain piece of machinery, uh, but it's, you know, it's all about how many acres can that machine cover. A bigger machine can cover more acres, smaller machine, you know, less acres. Um, and there's so many wear points on them. So they're not a forever, you know, there's very few or really none that are using a combine that was built in the 70s to today because it's wore out. Um, but that's, the, I mean, the equipment keeps getting more sophisticated, though, too. That's mm-hmm. helping out with grain quality. It's helping out with uh, measurements of, of very finite details that are in that field. So you can, uh, you know, drill down into a square foot of, of area and say, did that plant or those plants in that square foot perform? And why didn't they perform? Because I can measure, you know, everything of what every pass I did, what, where it was. Did I have compaction because did my tractor drive over that spot? And all those passes are all recorded by GPS. Um, and so there's some, uh, a good portion of the cost of these new pieces of equipment isn't just the tires and the steel. It's the technology connecting to satellites. It's very cool. Drones as well. Do you guys have drones on the farm? We do some stuff with drones. Um, I'm really excited that drones are getting past the point of just a pretty picture. Because for a long time, there's a lot of sales off. Oh, here's a pretty picture. Well, by the time you got the picture, it was beyond what you could change and do. And it didn't really relate to anything. Right. And now the technology is, um, it's got a little ways to go, but it's starting to get productive. Um, we're seeing drones now uh, able to apply uh, herbicides, uh, pesticides, which is great because then you don't have compaction. You can get out in small corners of the field. You're not driving around, but you can get low enough that you can really hit in there. Um, so there's a lot. I mean, I I see agriculture as the leading of technology. You know, the first genome that was mapped wasn't human. It was a soybean, Right. And then they learn how to do it on there, and then they're now they're, you know, genome and mapping, you know, human wow. cells, right? Ag is typically on that first edge, a lot of times ahead of of uh, human medical type of thing, or, you know, everybody's excited about the Tesla now and driving autonomously and all this stuff. You know, it goes back to the 80s, 90s that John Deere and others already had this out there, but because of uh, federal rules, they wouldn't allow it to function, because of safety, because of these other things, right? And so the the technology of connecting a piece of equipment, um, whether it's a drone or whether it's a physical, you know, large-scale piece of equipment, uh, has been out there a long time. Um, and we're, our farm isn't on the, the most cutting edge, but we're on the upper group of people. Um, and so you can pull up my phone, and I can look back at 10 years of history on whatever piece of farm I wanted. I could drill into that same spot on 10 years of history, um, that, and I can walk then out in the field with my phone and take me right to that spot. Well, you know, right now, or when we have equipment operating, I can follow it. What kind of difference does that make for you from a decision-making standpoint? You know, it's made the difference of like, of thinking, oh yeah, that spot last year didn't do so good either. Well, are you thinking of the right spot? I mean, our mm-hmm. memories are good, or at least mine is, but it's usually short. Yeah. Just ask my wife. <laughs> um, What's her name? Angie. Angie. Good yeah. job. Yeah. You answered quick, too. Yeah. Good job, Wes. Wes. Thanks, Wes. <laughs> Just in case I, I got forgot. us back. Hi, Angie. Yeah. Um, and so you can really, truly measure 
um, what what's going on and then track and look. And uh, there's been some, a few spots that uh, because of technology, we've said, you know, it's just where it's either drowned it out or it's a hillside shaded by trees. Why are we even planting it? Let's let's not plant this anymore. Well, for a farmer, you just want more dirt to plant more things on and to say, no, I'm not going to plant that is a bigger decision than adding another couple hundred acres. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, um, a few years ago, we uh, took about 30 acres out of our farm and put it into um, some sort of program that's grasses and wildlife because we're like, you know, we, if you look back five, in five years or even 10 years, it, it's not making us money. Yeah. If it's breaking even, we're probably probably not even doing that, right? And so the data, you can truly measure those and remember exact spots. You can flag things so we can drive across a field and say, here's a rock, put a flag there, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so you can truly um, measure. But what the other thing is also um, done is um, the planter or the sprayer or things will shut off when you've already done it. So the, the overlap and waste of seed, chemical, fertilizer is not there. I mean, it's boom, shut off. Yeah. And that's, that's been the saving thing for a few things, for the environment, but also for our checkbook because we don't need to put double the product out in these spaces. It doesn't do any good. Um, and so it's automatic, shuts off, and uh, and it looks pretty. <laughs> so true or false, can you actually take a nap inside these modern combines and just let her flow, let her ride? I would say false, but there is alarms that uh, can wake you up as you get close to the end of the field. <laughs> so you, you actually have to turn it. You're so, saying you still do, or so ours know? we do. Okay, but there is out there the 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 latest greatest stuff is it'll actually turn on the end of the field for you. I was gonna say I know some people that'll actually advertise yeah. that they're like oh, I could just and play games on my phone. I don't even <laughs> have to look up. John Deere had <laughs> a piece of equipment. Wipe, wipe some dirt on their face before they come out in the public. Right, hard day <laughs> sitting back. You, you can look on you can look on social media as I call Tic Tac and see that <laughs> it's. Uh, there's fails out there and you wonder why that tractor ended up in that pond, <laughs> you know, and it was because uh, they didn't quite hear their little beeper at the end of the field, Uh-oh, the turn. Sure. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, the technology of lights, the technology of um, the, how quiet the cabs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ability to work um, longer hours and um, it is, it's changed. It's a game changer. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't work all night long in these older tractors with the little candles you know, making a little yellow glow, right? Um, your, your your ears and the amount of damage there is from ears from these tractors. I mean, I have that because I slept in the tractors that, you know, this, we call them echo chamber. They're not a cab producing, reducing the noise. They actually sure. like trap it in and it's just oh, sits there and echoes on you where these new ones, you know, they're really, you know, connect your phone, Bluetooth and all that stuff. Well, it makes sense when you think about that shift from 60% of the population being in the in the industry down to 1% producing all the food. It's like you got to have that kind of an efficiency in order to be able to actually, you know, achieve right. the end goal there. So I guess it makes sense that the technology and, and the rest of the innovations that are happening are, are leading us in that direction. And it sounds like only going to get better, which begs the question how much smaller than one percent could it get and i'm not saying that it needs to or should or that we should be looking for that but i mean is it going to that's a question yeah and who knows where it's going to go you know there's some there's some size constraints that you're going to have just by highways and field sizes and 
and those types of components. Um, but we're, you know, in a free market. And so if uh, somebody can figure out how to, you know, grow bigger than somebody else, you know, what is too big? Yeah. You know, it's always, well, it's if they're bigger than me, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, what is that magic size that gets a lot of conversation in food and ag? Um, and I think because partly people would, you know, wish all the red barns were back and wish 40 acres for every family and those types of things, which, you know, it's relic. Is that, that's not even feasible anymore, really, right? No. I mean, you can you the, can do it on kind of a self-sustaining, like, if you're interested in your own, but not from a living standpoint, right? You know, if you produce vegetables um, and, you know, there's a higher dollar amount per acre, mm-hmm. um, there's a different level of labor involved in those types of things. There's, you know, um, it just generates more dollars per acre. Uh, but you need a different, it's a whole different style. Um, I think there's some opportunity with some uh, indoor growing uh, because we get, we get the rainfall, but they can capture the rain um, where we're in a u- unique spot for that of what else can you add to your you know farm so you don't have to continue to grow on your livestock and the pork industry specifically in this region really did that. It allowed a lot of people to come back and full-time farm because that extra income generation from um, livestock that, you know, uh, I've never seen them grow more acres. You know, they don't yeah. produce more land. Right. Um, but, you know, you could put a barn up and it's an, another added component to a farm uh, other than row crop farming. Well, I'm going to take you back for a second. I, I've been thinking throughout this conversation, Sam is like the biggest egg uh, cheerleader that I know, right? The the biggest proponent. And obviously you were passionate about it because you went right out of school into your industry. But I'm trying to picture high school, Sam. And I'm just curious, was that, was it so clear, you know, even when you were 15, 16, 17 years old, uh, that that was the vision? And what were you like in high school? I also am curious about that. Oh, boy. Um you know, question. <laughs> just throwing you back. I'm still the same, back. Sam. I'm always in a good mood. I love, you know, being up in the morning. I, I enjoy sunrises, sunsets and outside. Um, always try to be positive. I mean, there's days that get frustrating, but I'm pretty positive. So I was like that in school. Um, I was a poor studier. You know, I went to high school to pass high school. I didn't go there to hit home runs, um, but had a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I did the work, a work program. So already when I was a junior, junior and a senior, I was spending, you know, that, that, uh, two hours or whatever out of school early to go home and, and do work study. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, love baseball, did a lot of curling, um, baseball and curling, huh? had a, had a heck of a lot of fun there. Sure. Um, decided, uh, that there was this pretty girl in school. And so, uh, got kind of hooked to her and, and she, uh, thankfully probably kept me out of a lot of bad decisions. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, Angie and I are high school sweethearts. And, um, so it's 20, uh, 26 years this year. Um, congratulations. There this fall that we have been together. So it probably would have looked a lot different without her. <laughs> Well, usually it's women that cause us to make bad decisions, so big kudos to Angie. Yeah. yeah, she had her hands full. Can I guess how you sold her on you? Can I guess? You you can guess. This is dangerous, well, Sam. I wouldn't let him guess. Oh, come on. I don't know if I know. It's not bad. We're building up too much. I mean, you bought a tractor at age 18, right, instead of a car, right? So you're rolling, you're rolling down the street in your tractor. 
Well, I had a car already, a couple before that. Oh, you did? I thought the first vehicle <laughs> no, purchase was, was the tractor, which is a better story. Jordan, can we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you painted a picture of Sam how going beautiful. down the street on a tractor without a shirt on? Is yeah, that what you were shit, thinking? yeah. That's how you asked her to prom? I yeah. mean, he's he's the guy who buys the tractor for his first vehicle. I, mean, I was like, this is amazing. I was the guy that was awesome. jealous because a friend took his uh, prom date to prom in a tractor. There but you go. All of our tractors were... Um, not quite that nice. And, uh, there was no way she was going to, uh, you know, sit in that dirty thing. And so I was jealous of a friend had that. So I, I didn't have that story. Funny shit. Well, I was wrong. Yeah. T- took, were, took a stab you know, at it, I guess. Um, I don't know what, uh, what really drove her to me. I mean, I, I know what drove her, drove me to her and, you know, beautiful, naturally curly red hair girl that, uh, was super smart. And, uh, we did have a couple teachers that, Honestly, we we know who teachers they are. We we still like them, but they said you ain't never gonna make it together. <laughs> <laughs> Felt more like a challenge than it did uh, yeah. reality, didn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's oh, funny. funny. So Angie been married for almost twenty six years. Not this, married together. Together six years. We've been married for twenty two. Twenty two. Okay. Yeah. Um. Together twenty six this yeah. fall, and you have children. Yeah, we have um an eight, two boys, okay. um eighteen year old and a sixteen year old. 18 and 16. Okay. Yeah, two cool. boys. So awesome. You know, trying to keep them away from what my high school is like. <laughs> make them have better grades. And they've, they've done amazing at it. Coming up on an empty nesting. Yeah. That'll so be here before you know it, both of them trying to figure out how I can connect them back to ag. <laughs> Cause like you said, I am the cheerleader for ag and I'm like, I don't care what you want to do. You can all connect it back. Um, and so my oldest though, really, um, loves hands on, loves just getting his fingers dirty. Um, really good communicator. So he, um, he, he wants to come back and, and farm, but the same goes for him that, you know, my dad said is what else are you going to bring to the farm or what other job are you going to do? Or where can you find more acres? And in that case, that's a little tougher proposition. Than I think it is looking for another opportunity. So, um, he, uh, decided to go to South Dakota state university for agronomy and ag business. So we'll see if he double majors or not, but that's the that's the goal. And then be able to come back and work in an industry, but also play around on the farm as well. Sure. Um, because the family farm to pass to the next generation is, um, it's pretty much a pride of ours or where that's a goal in life almost. And, uh, to see that happen, you know, is it doesn't happen very often. I mean, very few businesses even make it back, make it past the third generation. And so how can we make a transfer to the sixth potentially? Um, so he wants to do that. And, uh, my younger son still trying to figure out a few things, but, um, he, uh, doesn't have to try in school. Um, periodic tables memorized, you know, up on his wall in his room. And, uh, so he's thinking about quantum theory and all this stuff I can't understand. And so I just remind him, you know, the biggest challenge to, uh, living on Mars isn't getting to Mars. It's not building anything. It's how are you going to eat food? And uh, there's been a number of stories down that, that in the last few years, NASA's hired a lot of people in ag because that's their struggle. Yeah. And so I remind him, like, I don't care yeah. what you do, but you know you can be connected to ag. So your youngest takes after your wife. <laughs> yeah, they, for the grade-wise, they both do. Okay. They're both, uh, we're pretty fortunate we haven't had that's any. That's funny. Well, no, I like the connection back to ag, and I think, uh, you know, it, it's always cool. We were talking before the podcast about succession planning, right, in Mankato in general, um, different businesses, and I think the farm industry is one where 
that's been a challenge time and time again is, is do you have kids that are interested, number one, and number two, can they? Is the environment set up for them? And uh, you brought up a good point is carve out your own acres, but also what, what else do you bring to the table? And I like that mentality. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, um, was taught earlier on saying if multiple, you know, kids want to come back to any sort of business or if it's a farm, well, you don't need two people that are really good at uh, uh, turning a wrench and fixing the equipment. It doesn't, you know, unless you're going to open up a, a mechanic shop, it doesn't, you need the one that's really good. And then, you know, somebody else is going to help. But, yeah. um, and so in, in our case, my, I have a brother uh, and a sister. And in those cases, neither one of them were really that interested in production farming. Um, and so, but at the same time, they do help and support when we need it and have a great, great brother and sister. Um, but I'm the one that always wanted to farm. So we'll see what Noah and Alec yeah. my boys want to do but one of them for sure wants to well and getting back to your story too you went out after doing the farming for you know three years or so and having that tough time weather-wise um and and started doing things with the minnesota soybean association can we talk a little bit about that uh part of your career and what that led to and and how it developed yeah sure you know i mean um at that time i had a a gig of uh of construction, dirt work construction. Um, and that time is when I built our house, when we redid our house. So I dug my own septic and basement and all that kind of stuff and put up walls and built the house. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm like, I don't long term, I just don't know that that's really what I wanted to do. And, um, got, uh, asked by, uh, gentleman and Mike Youngerberg that's still in the community and saying, Hey, why don't you, why don't you come over here and you're always asking me questions of what you're doing at the soybean world, you know, so why don't you come over here and do some stuff? So that's what I, so I just jumped into it as a, as like a field rep. Um, and the soybean growers for, if you don't know what they are, they're representing farmers across the whole state of Minnesota um, in two different ways, uh, on the lobbying and the political side, but also on the research, education, promotion side of the world. Um, and so um, jumped into to them and got to work on, you know, when biodiesel was just starting, uh, so that's, uh, you know, in the summertime, it's 20% and all diesel fuel in Minnesota. In the wintertime, it's 5%. Um, um, and I got involved, not at the first stages of that, but kind of when it was just starting to really take off. Um, and so that was a awesome, awesome opportunity uh, to see now today it started off as 2% in our fuel and now it's 20%. And global-wide, that really industry really started here in Southern Minnesota because of farmer dollars that went into that research with the university of Minnesota, um, to how to produce that. And so we got those types of things. And then I, and then, and then just kept evolving in that organization, um, to the point then when I, um, took on the challenge of the international marketing department, um, which was a small, a small piece. Um, at that time, um, I'm trying to think what the numbers were, maybe 10% of our soybeans we were exporting, something like that. And today we're talking, you know, much higher. Well, for context, uh, you were part of the Minnesota group. So is there a national? Yeah. So there's, there's multiple layers. There's county, uh, or association and groups. Um, there's the state and then there is, um, national and on the national side, it's, there's two branches. One is the, um, research and development and, um, promotion. And the other group is the policy, um, lobbying. And so because we were a small group, small staff, I got to, I got to do both, um, hands and feet and wet. And so, um, had conversations with legislators, got to go to DC, St. Paul, you know, represent farmers, which is 
really humbling when you think about, you know, the farmer, there's very few farmers that are able to walk away from their farm because they don't have big enough staff to do that. Um, uh, but there was a dedicated group that really, you know, anything it would take, they would show up to represent other, other farmers um, and to kind of coordinate and bring that together and let them tell their story. I didn't have to tell it. Um, and so did that. And then on the national side, I mean, it's research. Some of the research that was started when I was there, um, now you can buy Goodyear tires with um, soy oil instead of petroleum oil. That was all started when I was there. What has that been now? You know, it could have been 18 years ago or something to that effect. It takes a lot of time to get those things to uh, get up on that scale. And so you have Minnesota or local projects, but then you also have national or, or bigger projects. Well, and I'm curious, and, and I'm putting you on the spot. So if you, if you don't have this at your fingertips, <laughs> totally fine. I'm giving you cover. Uh, Minnesota, I've always known most of our local farmers at least to be corn soybean farmers that's like the main two cash crops that we seem to focus on what percentage of um like the let's just look at america like north america or maybe even we just narrow it down to the united states and say soybean wise what percentage comes from minnesota um so uh, yeah so currently today um minnesota uh, you know is most of the acres are corn and soy Mm-hmm. Um, and we're the number third largest um, soybean state. I would have guessed we were second or first. So that, yeah, uh, you know, Iowa, Iowa gets a lot of credit for um, some of the how large they are in multiple commodities because, you know, you think of Minnesota um, has a lot of metro, but it also has a lot of lakes, rivers, True. trees, um, rocks, mining, all that stuff where uh, Iowa for the most part is good ground soil, you know, the, <laughs> the northern two-thirds of it. And so they, they, they're usually quite ahead of corn, soy, pork. I mean, it's that, that's their kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, but uh, Minnesota for corn states, I can't remember if we're fourth for corn, but we are number one for sugar beets. Sugar beets? Why they're, sugar beets? Um, the northern climate helps a lot. It's where cooperatives started and uh, those points. So, you know, closest to us here, you have uh, Renville. Sugar beet co- cooperative. Okay. It's a farmer cooperative. Sugar beets, and then and then you got to go way north to Crookston in that area to get to another sugar beet. And what are the uses and applications for sugar beets? Well, the first one is sugar, right? Um, so you know most of the uh, stores, if you go in and you buy your five pound bag, it's going to say like Crystal Sugar or you know those types of things. Those are Minnesota companies. Um, if you go back to early days, um, sugar is also used to produce ammunition. Really. Um, and so, um, you, there was plants around Minnesota during the wars. Um, there's still resemblance of that in Rosemont area, um, where you'll see these big concrete slabs sticking up in the middle of grass and other areas. And it was an ammunition depot and different components. And so there's, there's early things like that, but, um, you mostly, you know, it is sugar. Um, we don't, the U S produces very little, uh, sugar cane because right. we don't have the ground and things to do that. Um, and it's Brazil still the number one on that. Um, probably South America in general, uh, would be high in in sugar cane. Um, and so we have, we have a lot of sugar beets in the U S. Um, but the majority of them are in like Minnesota, North Dakota. Um, you can go a little bit to Colorado, a little bit to California, but most of it's, most of it's here. Um, and so we're number one for that. Uh, we're still hung up on how that works with ammunition. Gunpowder, yeah, but like, what? I guess I don't know. I'm not a. You'll we'll have to research this afterwards, right? I don't don't really know. 
Me too. I I have no idea. Yeah, there's a lot of history in our state with uh, the war. Um, You know, the most guarded port in the in the the world, or the U.S. Not in the world. Most guarded port in the U.S. was Duluth. Sure. um, Because of the steel and what do you build Mm -hmm. things out of, right? Used Um, to be one of the richest uh, cities in the nation back in like the 1800s. I heard that recently. Absolutely. And that surprised the heck out of me. But then when you think about it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's one of the most, you know inland opportunities for sea-based exports right uh steel natural resources of all sorts timber so all that stuff you I know when it you, makes sense when you go back before the railroad the duluth was the port and access to the midwest um because you didn't have the dam so you couldn't come up the mississippi river unless it was high enough water table and that's a whole challenge because there's some elevation difference from st louis to here <laughs> um and uh then when the railroad started building all 12 class row 12 class one railroads all went to duluth only city in the u.s that had that many class ones going to it um so it's also a benefit of our international exports which i did a lot of and duluth is a really interesting place because you can connect you know and minnesota can connect in some really unique ways which we might be the last uh distance or the furthest distance and for most of the world market because of where we're at at the same time we have um access to multiple class one railroads we have the mississippi river which um there's more cargo on that river and more sustainable than any other type of transportation. Um, how much fuel they use and impacts and all that stuff. It's amazing. Um, but we have the Duluth. Um, and then on top of that, we have some pretty good airports um, that do not just people, but freight as well. Um, and then of course the highway system. I mean, we're sitting on uh, intersection of, of two of the largest interstates in the U S uh, 35 and, and 90. Um, and so we're in a really unique, place for trying to get things but we got to go a long ways yeah no that's very neat so getting back to your time at the soybean group um what was what was maybe some of the things that you did that stood out the most like what was it what were things that you were passionate about i know you did a lot of travel yeah i mean i mean coming up with these this new innovation and how do you add value right because a soybean is great but just exporting the whole entire raw soybean um is is a little sometimes disappointing because you can break it down into essentially amino acids. You can break it down into um, vitamin E's and things that are in chapsticks. You can break it down to, you know, if you look at the back of a candy bar, there's uh, lecithin and things like that. That's all soy type of product. Um, and so, and that's the beauty of a little bit of Mankato here. We have two uh, awesome soybean crushing facilities here, which is producing animal feed and it's producing this oil and it can go to multiple different um, aspects. And so learning about that, diving into it, it completely changed my mind. It's just a farmer growing up that's just going to go to college, two-year program, stay in Mankato, stay at my house a quarter mile from where I grew up. And you, you just get trapped in this, the world's this big. And then all of a sudden you start having more conversations. Then all of a sudden you start uh, working on the international marketing program. Um, and it was kind of, kind of most of my career was birthed by fire, you know, or baptism by fire, whatever you want to call it. It was like, here you go. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and you just associate and connect yourself with really smart people and, and uh, they could make you look good. Um, and so when, when you started getting the international export side of things um, and talking with people around the world that want your product, um, they want it from the farmer, but there's a scale of economy and there's a lot of logistics in the middle and a lot of middlemen that are truly important because they got to know very unique things about access to borders and those components. So, so yeah, some of the really, you know, cool things, right. Was, you know, traveling to all these countries 
And, you know, I learned really fast that you never pack five farmers in the middle section of, a, you know, a 787, you know, airline and sit on the plane for 14 hours together because you get a lot more room if you go sit in other seats because not everybody is the same size as, yeah. you know, five, uh, five farmers from Minnesota. What are you trying to say, Sam? Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I learned real quick that that's not how I book tickets anymore. Yeah, smart. <laughs> um, but when you go to these places, I mean, it really, the food, I mean, just like tonight here, we have bourbon and you can sit around a campfire, you can sit around a table and it's just, it's a conversation um, piece. Food is also, um, and farming and other things it's just they're just they just want to improve their family uh they want to make a, a good living um they have a job to do um of course they're going to advocate for you know lowest price highest quality you know there's so many things that um you don't even need to speak the language but if you took a at that time <laughs> we didn't have really good cell phones with really good pictures um and so i would take little storybooks Sure. And I'd, if the farmers came with me or others came with, make them put together, you know, pictures. What's their farm look like? Who's their family? You know, what's their crops? What's some of the fun things they do? And you could have um, sake in Japan or you could have, you know, um, uh, beer in China and those types of things. And you can have a whole conversation without even knowing each other's languages. Yeah. Um, and when you get to know them, they're just people and they really do want to provide and you could really connect. And that was probably one of the, the, you know, most awesome. I mean, I got some really funny stories too, but that's like just the heart of it of like, it's no different. And then have a conversation. What's the holdup? What do you want to do? What, what's your accomplishments? What's your goals? Well, don't hold back on the funny stories. Well, (laughs) we're always going to encourage those. Yes, please. (laughs) You know, um, when you're, uh, you know, five foot eleven, you know, hundred eighty pound uh, American, and you lose your luggage in China, or it doesn't actually make it there, you don't lose it in China, and then you don't know where it ever went to. When you go try to find clothes <laughs> uh, to show up to the, you know, the meeting that afternoon, um, and you walk into all these shops, the shops are very different, especially in China, uh, more little market type of things, or it'd be a mall, but there'd be, you know, a whole different store every. 10 feet or whatever it was. And when you walk in, you're like, I, you know, need clothes, right? And you try to do all the sign language you can because I couldn't speak it. And they're like, oh, nothing here, nothing here. <laughs> you go to the next one, the next one, and about the fifth one, you're like, and then they all come to the back room, you know, <laughs> and they get out their biggest, you know, clothes or whatever it is. And you're like, this isn't going to work, you know? Um, did this happen to you? Uh, yeah, it did. It did happen. And uh, Is there you, pictures? You, <laughs> I think I, I ended up bringing one pair of pants home and uh, showed to my wife when I got home that I had to wear this for a number of days before I could find a different place, and uh, she couldn't uh, stop uh, hysterically laughing. You know, I mean, they were beyond skinny. I don't fit skinny jeans. That's fantastic. People that don't know me, I'm not... I, no, I can't. My legs don't fit them. I was picturing you in like a kimono or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a really good picture. That would be yes. Yeah. I thought that Angie, okay. we need pictures. If you're if you listen to this, we need the pictures of the pants, the tight pants. Submit them, we will release Submit. them. People will appreciate yeah, that'd be blackmail. Um so you know, there were stories like that, but then it's um stories of you know so I would bring a lot of people with every time. Let them tell their story 
over there and not just me. And uh, we brought a group of, of a business that's from the area. And because their uh, institution did a lot of work with farmers and the dynamics of more increased international exports, they're like, we need to understand this, see this, because we're loaning dollars and we're, you know, engaged with them. <laughs> well, when, it, when one person's ticket somehow got goofed up and I had to leave him in China and uh, put a lot of pieces in place to make sure that he made it to the next destination. <laughs> um, but uh, that individual, don't let me live it down today, he still is not real happy about being stuck by <laughs> himself. Situation. Um, oh, no. And I wasn't happy about it either, but uh, it's so... Yeah, when you when you leave a man behind <laughs> in a country um, that's really never traveled much, um, mm-hmm. it's a whole different different and dynamic. I'd be pretty burned if it was me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't was sleep it that his night. Fault or what? No, the airline happen? screwed it up, and they didn't okay. they didn't have any more seats on there. But we also had twenty others, and so I couldn't. Do I go with the twenty and leave him behind with uh, yeah. a person that I I I believed I could trust, which I had it trusted and it worked or do I go with the one and tell their 20 to go on <laughs> yeah. or 19 um, and so uh, that's an experience of uh, navigating airports yeah a couple different ways there luggage and uh, and people <laughs> what is the farming uh, agriculture operation operations like in China you know we didn't spend a lot of time on the farm operations um, a lot of the farms though are in the north uh, in the same parallel that we are in Minnesota um, so the challenge they have is they're on the north side of the mountains and all the people on the south side. Um, they're very up in Harbin area uh, where most of the people are is Beijing, Guangzhou, Shanghai, um, those, those cities. And so, um, the, and the fact that they have way more people than they can produce food. Um, and they have a lot of polluted coastal and farm regions from manufacturing and I was going to ask what the quality of the soil was. I mean, being on the other side of the mountain, I imagine that that has an effect too. Yeah, it, it does, but there's some really good things too that um, some of the original soybeans and things so that they can date back came from that part of the world. And so there's also a reason, you know, why here in Minnesota um, we do grow a really good soybean is some of the original genetics and some of the places that came from was that area. Okay. Um, and it's a similar um, line in the, you know, on the globe. So we've touched on China or Japan. Uh, any other travel destinations? Any other travel stories that stand out? Oh, I, I, we could go all day on this, but um, um, one of the ones was uh, telling pictures and stories. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're at the International Poultry uh, Expo in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and often there we try to partner with the USDA uh, Foreign Ag Service or the national entities. Um, because if they're poultry producers there, it's the largest poultry show in the world. It's massive. Um, we got companies from Mankato that have been down that area or that go to that show each year too. But uh, so we met up with this foreign ag service group and um, and had a little happy hour with them, connect and say, hey, here's U.S. And, and then Minnesota. And there was another state involved as well. Um, but the trade group was, so this would have been in, oh, I didn't write this date down. Probably 2010-ish, probably, um, uh, that we were there, and it was a group from Iraq. And there's a lot of poultry production in Iraq. Of course, that's kind of the world's go-to is poultry. First consume meat protein would be, would be, uh, would be that. Um, and so they're there, and they're learning, and they're looking at the industry, but also, like, where do they get 
high quality feeds from. And there's not a lot of soybean uh, production in uh, that whole entire kind of continent region, very, very little, but it's one of the best amino acids naturally for protein or for uh, poultry and animals. So they want soybean meal. So again, couldn't speak their language. They couldn't speak ours. So you stare at each other for a few minutes and I'm like, Hey, wait a second, get out my picture book and other farmers get out their picture book. And, and um, I love to hunt, love to fish. Um, of course, got pictures of the farm and the dog and all this stuff, you know, to relate. And uh, next thing you know, I have them really flipping my page back to the hunting photo. I'm like, all right, tell me more, you know, like trying to communicate back and forth. So finally it got deep enough where I had to get somebody to translate us. So there was somebody in the room that could help with that because it came in from USDA. So they came over and started helping translate. He invited me to his, uh, his town to go duck hunting. Oh. <laughs> so apparently there's a lot of water and a lot of um, sloughs and, and ponds and things. And so duck hunting is, is something it's you do. But in Iraq. I'm very naive, and at that time, I'm young, and then you look at the war, and you look at all the stuff that was going on in that period of time, and you go, I just got invited to go to Iraq yeah. to go duck hunting. Well, like, when, how does this work? Yeah, when you said he picked out the hunting picture, I thought, oh, there was a rifle, there was maybe something politically charged there. I did not think he was going, yeah, come hunt with me. I'm so, I'm so yeah. with you, because it was yeah. the same thing, like, I... You know, didn't put in there, I just put, you know, what's, what's my hobbies or what do we enjoy? And didn't realize that he also had an enjoy of waterfowl um, and deer hunt, you know, hunting okay. and things like that. And kind then for... Wouldn't have guessed that in Iraq either. And I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how would I have went to even get there? Right. Right. Um, and what would it be like? So there's lots of crazy things that go through your mind of like, is this real? Do you remember but, his name? Um, no, I don't. I, I, well, if he listens that, tonight, Sam's still interested. He just <laughs> hasn't figured out how to go. <laughs> Yeah. You never know who's listening, uh, Sam. No, you don't. But <laughs> it's 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 back to that connection yeah. of uh of of people are looking for what we have. Yeah. And we are often going, What well, we got? This ain't nothing special. We got farms everywhere. I mean I've had I had an individual from, it was a baker, because uh, the bakery industry um, in a lot of um, Africa region will add soy um, flour to their wheat flour because you want to increase the protein because they're protein deficient. Yeah. You know, rice or, or maize or corn or whatever. I mean, wheat, it's all uh, energy. There's not really not, not much protein. And so they add soy flour. And so large bakers over there, um, we would also bring them here um, and also bring them specifically here because of... Uh, uh, Hubbard milling or uh, um, honey soy was the original brand that CHS facility now actually produces soy flour. So there was a connection just to the farms, but also to where they can buy a product from. So they were here. They came out to our farm and uh, and jumped on the tractor and um, we're talking about it and he could understand some English and showing things. And next thing you know, he starts crying. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not an emotional guy to begin with. And what is happening? And here the, the, you know, the result of the story was he, he physically said, there's, I've never seen anything so beautiful. And I said, tell me more. And he goes, our planter is a stick and our foot. We poke a hole, we drop a seed, we step on it. Poke a hole, drop a seed, step on it. And we're talking about, you know, a planter that'll do, you know, 15 acres per hour of specifically strategically placed, you know, corn every five and a half inches. And you know, when things like that real and happen to you, you have like, this isn't just a, a place that 
everybody does corn. This is yeah. a place the world is like envious, jealous, sad, happy, you know, everything. Um, and so it just kind of puts you know, it in perspective. For it you. puts you in perspective of like, yeah, we had better technology than they're using today. And we started off talking about, we have a planter hanging in the shed that's yeah. pulled by horses and that's still better technology than what they live by today. Man, that's that's really impactful. That's it a is. Story. Let's go back to bourbon for a moment and make sure we do a nice, well-deserved shout-out to our friends at Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery. Because tonight, what are we drinking tonight, Sam? You want to you want to tell them what we're drinking? Ranch Road Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Woo! handcrafted small batch and aged at least two years. Yummy stuff right there. Wesley typically gets after it quite often. Uh, I also have been lately enjoying their wines quite a bit, but tonight I'm also enjoying the uh, delicious bourbon. Uh, and Sam's doing the same. So we're all kind of doing our thing here tonight. Chankaska is located in Kasota, Minnesota. Uh, have just done such a wonderful job of harnessing the southern Minnesota community and the agriculture and the land and, and creating a really cool place not only to uh, buy product from, but also to visit, spend some time out there listening to live music on their patio or maybe going to a comedy um, show or a wedding at their event center. So if you haven't checked them out, go to ShanCaskaWines.com or you can also um, find pretty much, I believe, Wesley, their stuff is in like every liquor store now, almost at every sporting event There's uh, a in Minnesota. There's you want to If you want to find out where you can buy at retail, and for some reason you might not be you know, near the actual winery distillery, they've got a map. You can go and find the locator to see where you can buy some of their products, especially their Ranch Road series. That's what I've looked at. But no, it's a great, it's a great setup. And I think my other shout out that I'll add to it is the cocktail bar that they have on the other side of the venue. I don't think we give it enough attention because I can't think of another place in Southern Minnesota that does that level of quality of cocktails across so many. I mean, you think about any bar restaurant, that's a higher end spot in Southern Minnesota. They have a cocktail menu with like three to four really good cocktails and then some other standards. And Chankaska seems to have like a menu of over a dozen. Their own really spirit fun, room. high-end, well-done cocktails. So if you want something fun and you're not willing, you know, you're, you're excited to go and spend a little extra because it's a fun experience, that's the place where I take that date. Hell yeah. I you like know it. If, uh, if you've ate it, drank it, or smoked it, <laughs> ag produced it, <laughs> Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And thanks again to our friends at Chankaska. <laughs> Have you watched Informant? Um, Matt Damon? I, I know the movie. I know of the movie. I don't think I watched it. All right. So, no. so we were talking about this before the break. Let's guys, jump off right there. Informant. Yeah. <laughs> this is our jumping off point back from the break. Hello, folks. Welcome Let's back. talk about Informant. No. Um, we were talking about this before the podcast, and it fascinated me because, number one, I think before we even jump into the movie, we should talk about Mankato's strong history in soybeans. And sure. the family in particular that is kind of associated with the big organizations that are here in Mankato now um, and how everything evolved. And then we'll eventually get okay. to informants. We'll get so to the movie. You be our history professor. We'll just sit back and listen. So you can read a lot. But if, if you start from today, you'll hear that Mankato is the largest soybean crushing city in... Uh, in North America. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that they're taking soybeans and further processing them and um, breaking them down. So they're taking a whole soybean, which has got protein, it's got oil, it's got some carbohydrates, 
it's got some other things in it, right? And so splitting those down, break them into higher value type of, of products. So each day in Mankato, um, you can say roughly uh, 325,000 bushels of soybeans are processed in Mankato with our um, great companies, Archer, Archer's Daniel Midland and Senex Harvest State, so CHS, ADM. Um, one's, on, one's over by uh, uh, Mankato West, right? And other one's off of 3rd Avenue close to Highway 14. Both of those companies, ironically, were started by the same family. Really? So CHS uh, was a farmer cooperative, but it was not super successful. It wasn't using quite the same technology. And um, the Andreas family uh, said, I think we got to run at this. And there's more history of the Andreas family before that, but we're not going to go back that far. You can read that if that's all right. If you read. Learning. Uh, uh, Learning. So they had taken uh, this facility and um, first learned how to start breaking down the soybeans. It's amazing animal feed, but it's got to be cooked. Um, We're a long ways from the market, so it doesn't make sense to transport sometimes a lot of things a long ways away. But we already had a big livestock presence, so let's make a feed that's really good for it. Soybeans was the one. Um, And then also side side of it is you get oil, uh, which you can use for uh, mostly for frying. For the most part, a lot of gallons are used in the frying industry of French fries and all of our other good bar food that I eat too much of. Um, and so they had started that. Well, in that time being, uh, the Archer's Daniel Midland family said, hey, there's these really sharp guys in Minnesota. Um, I think we need, to, we need to see if they can help our company out grow as a, as a big egg company at that time, um, ADM was. And so they convinced them to come to them. Well, they had to sell CHS. Was there a private investment or sell it to um, uh, back to the farmers or to CHS at that time, Harvest States. And then um, they started working for ADM. And ultimately they came back or stayed around Mankato because they were from here and built ADM, the crushing plant it is today. Now they've both expanded. They've both evolved. They've both done a lot of things since then. But um, ultimately uh, the two Andreas brothers um, built um, what is really commonly known as, or what you see today as ADM as this multinational, one of the largest ag companies in the world, um, super successful. Um, but during that time and after that time they built that, they also invested a lot of their own money into Mankato. The first theater at MSU was Andreas Theater, the Andreas Cancer Center. And if you look around on plaques, Children's Museum to, I mean, look around the plaques and read the names, you're going to see a lot of... Um, Andreas family. And that was a lot to with a lot of ag products and commodities because ADM has got a whole supply chain, fertilizer, all kinds of stuff, but a lot of soybeans. So you can ultimately say soybeans have built this town in so many ways that people don't connect the dots of their income, their money, their success turned back into goodwill and donation and created a lot of opportunity for a lot of programs uh, to continue to see this um, town grow. No, it's that's a huge thing that I don't even think everyone really understands. First of all, the the dynamics of the same family having involvement in two of the biggest, you know, 
companies here in, in the agricultural space. But, you know, on a micro level, we were talking about the success of farmers equaling the success of the region and the trickle-down effect of that. I mean, my family was Zans. We've got over three decades worth of, well, four decades, really, with my parents' management experience in it of of running that business. And we have always attributed to our summer business, which is our busiest time, being our farmer you know, folks sure. that are coming into town, they don't come in during the winter as much because of the drive and the winter and the, and the elements. And so the success of us as a business community in general are so interdependent. I know that it's something that you and I have talked about a lot, Sam, but um, ag isn't just ag, right? When it comes to green, green seam, right. uh, it, it's a lot larger than that. There's a lot of businesses that are touched by agriculture or work with agriculture in different ways to make up the larger complex economy that we are in Southern Minnesota. And um, we're probably jumping a little bit ahead to your, your green seam role, but uh, it makes a lot of sense that we would plant that flag here and try and make that name for ourselves because by, by and large, that's what we are. Right. Right. And you know, if you even turn back the clock earlier, you know, there's a, a building, a structure that's fairly unique, downtown Mankato, that has a really cool mural on it, mm-hmm. right? Well, we didn't put that structure up to paint the mural, right? right. Um, the Hubbard Milling started here, right? And um, it was on the river because you needed it for wheat milling, and it's still wheat milling today, and it's still providing jobs. You know, if you go to the, the great stories that uh, you can hear and read um, at our friends at the Historical Society, right? I mean, the first telephone in town yep. was to connect the mill and, and the family to it. The clock, you know, was the whistle. That was, that was Hubbard, right? They had their own power plant. Also, you know, like the story goes on and on, and that's still operational today. Wow. So the economic impact of that, but it's not just <laughs> well, farmers. It ties into your argument that innovation in large part, really starts with agriculture. I mean, each one of those new innovative pieces that came to Mankato was completely driven by the ag industry. So totally, 100% backs the argument. Yeah, and it, it's who is who is doing the electrical work, right? It doesn't say it's ag electric company A or whatever. It's a electrical company, you know? Who's doing the engineering? Who's doing all that? They're not always named ag, and so you can't always see that the whole entire, like, ecosystem has this tie-in. Um, right. And, uh, but there's a lot tying to it that really makes you think and appreciate it going, wow, like that's impressive. How many people, um, lived and worked and grew their families based upon the canning factories, based upon ardent mills and ADM and CHS and how that just spurred wealth in the region to, you know, want to eat something different let's bring in zans right Right. i mean i don't know where that came from but you know let's bring in a cheese chilito they're gonna love it like you know four decades ago the cheese chilito four decades ago my favorite story in my family is is my my dad worked there my mom my whole mom's side of the family worked there first right and this is i'll I'll get through this quick. This <laughs> is dumb, but I'm going to get on it. Let's go. Uh, Let's go. My, my grandma, the first time that she was introduced to the Zantigos is what it was at the time, the food, uh, they put a taco burrito in front of her. 
And she goes, so do I take the napkin off of it first? She thought the tortilla was a napkin. <laughs> oh. She was confused by the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, that, that was Midwestern, right? Like, we couldn't pronounce quesadilla back in the 70s. That wasn't a word that was in our vocabulary. And that's part of the reason why the name changed for Chilitos, because they used to be considered its own unique version of a quesadilla. Even huh. though it's not what we think of a quesadilla as, that was the name back in the day. And so... Wow. It's just funny, you know. It's good history shifts, we're getting. Yeah. It I is. like listening to that. But I, I'm also no, it's good history, he, but it's also good. He's, you know, he's taking us on a ride of history and a lot of that. You know, mm-hmm. the, the uh, silos, which was cool. I mean, such a great. I, I, I want uh, there's a story. I wasn't thinking about this one until it came. But we talked about the history of Arden Mills, um, Hubbard Milling. Um, I was in uh, um, Hungary, Harkony, Hungary. Um, and was meeting with customers and meeting with folks, and we had presentations set up. And there was an individual that was working for the American Soybean Association International Marketing Program from Hungary. And uh, we sat down to, to to have I don't know what it was that night, a glass of wine or something. And and uh, he said, "Where are you from again?" And I said, "Well, you know, we're from uh, Minnesota." And he's like, "Oh, that's cool." He goes, "Where in Minnesota?" And I'm like, uh, "Well." you know, south to Twin Cities. And he's like, all right, tell me more. And I'm like, all right, we're going to get all the way down to my town here. I don't know what's going on. But, um, you know, Mankato is is uh, the, the biggest town here. And he's like, Mankato, Minnesota? Really? You're from Mankato? And I said, uh, yeah. I go, what's the connection? Well, when Hungary was in a uh, major civil war, um, oh gosh, I don't know, 40s, 50s, something like that, um, him and his family, he was well-educated in agriculture, um, had degrees and seen what was happening there. And it's like, we have to get the family out of the country. So he ultimately, um, uh, and you couldn't leave the country. So you couldn't get caught by um, uh, your own military. Um, and he ultimately uh, made it to the border and uh, didn't know who he was going to get caught by, but there was guards there and he ended up getting caught, but not by hungry military. So he made a lot of journeys to get out, but he ultimately made it to the U.S. with no money, no not, no job, no English, um, nothing. But it had a good ag education. That was it. And somehow the story was told that he fast forwarded a bunch of it because I don't remember exactly the 100% of it. But he ended up hearing about in the Twin City, he got to St. Paul, and he heard about that there were some jobs in Mankato. So he uh, ultimately got down to Mankato, met with a minister, um, and, and had great conversations with him. Minister helped him get a car. He got a job. Where was the job? It was at Hubbard Milling, and he ended up being wow. a nutritionist for Hubbard Milling for a number of years. Um, his wife then ended up getting a job, learning English. They had a great uh, career in the U.S., um, in Minnesota, specifically Mankato for that. And ultimately, he did want to get back home. Um, and so he ended up... Um, um, back home in in Hungary, retired, um, and uh, that's that's also been probably fifteen years ago. And I do have his name and his card, and I've, but I've never looked him back up. But it was because of uh, Hubbard Milling that he uh, he had a story Small to tell, world. and I didn't know him going there, and he didn't know me. But uh, and where did you make this connection again? Where were you? This was in uh, I think it was in Harkony, Hungary. In Harkony, Hungary, um, and uh, Hungary um, is interesting stories with today's war and things like that of what kind of culture they have, but very similar to Minnesota where they have uh, dairy cows um, and they need soy protein and they have pork and they have some other, you know, they have oak trees, maple trees. It kind of looks 
similar to a Minnesota landscape. Wow. Yeah. What a cool connection. Yeah, that's a cool connection. <laughs> you keep you keep delaying responding to Mankato because you're like, he's never gonna hear of it. Why does he why does he keep asking me about that? Yeah. yeah. It was strange. It's strange connection, but it was Very it cool. was fun. No, it was fun. I was just recently at the State of Agriculture. I mean that what today's Monday. So that was what, Thursday or Friday of last week? The celebration of ag last yeah. week. Yeah, that was fantastic. So uh, it was a good event. July nineteenth. Yeah, <laughs> you don't remember right. the day of the week. You're like, hey, <laughs> I think about this. Yeah, I don't remember either. But that's because our schedules are all crazy, right? But it was fantastic. The Moon Dogs. That was the first time I've been, Sam. But it was it was really cool to see. Thanks the for booth, coming. The International Harvester uh, booth there with the Minnesota State. Uh, you know, go drive a, a combine. Yeah, Southern Ag Center of Excellence cool. had a uh, combine simulator. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. Uh, and and the speeches were fantastic. A lot of really great organizations that got up and spoke either about their own businesses or about the state of the industry. Um, and there's there's a lot that Mankato can contribute to. I know I've got uh, friends in the pork industry specifically, the Compart family. We work with them in the agency level here at Auto Media Group. There's some different things happening within the pork industry, specifically in California, right? Yeah, there there is. And, you know, I can step back and say one of the connections to starting Green Seam was the 2007-8 downturn of the economy. Mankato's looking at data, John Constein and Jonathan Zier and others are going, why are we doing so well? We can make guesses, we can do this, but what's the data say? And they started running reports then in 2012, 13, you know, state data or federal data takes a few years and whatnot. And they started running data to say, why is it? And ag kept coming out. In fact, there's more livestock income in the greater Mankato region than there is in the Omaha, Nebraska region. Livestock income per capita. Right. And so questions are going, what, what the heck does that mean? Well, yeah, we don't have as many beef cows, but we have a little bit of everything and we have a lot of pork. Yeah. And um, from there on, it was like, wow, we're not sure. We're not a, uh, a town that has a big packing industry like Omaha, but we're surrounded by Austin and Worthington and Elber Lee and Wyndham. There's all these towns that have had um, great successes in large, large companies, but our industry in this region, Blue Earth County, Nicollet County, Martin County, I mean, they're all the top uh, counties in the nation for producing pork. And so ultimately that led to saying, greater man growth, what are, why are we not involved in food and ag? Like, what's going on here? We're, we're actually bigger than Omaha, Nebraska, mm-hmm. um, which you think of, got to go there for beef, right? So that kind of started the affect a little bit of of green seam and well and that's a i probably started this ordering of questions wrong we should have started with what is the origins <laughs> of green seam what was your transition into it because we kind of skipped that step so i'm i'm sorry to put the the pork thing and derail well, you on pause but let's go there let, first okay i'll pause on the pork but we gotta get back to because it it's an important yeah. economic driver yeah. um, that we have in our region but um Rewinding my gears, I guess, is why Green Seam or why did I jump into this position or, or what's going on? Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about international, you know, trade and marketing. I love it. I made amazing connections I still have today in, in so many countries um, that are looking at our region, are looking at our state to say, you have what we need. So I loved it. But at the same time, um, when your kids are getting, when they're, when they're really little, it was really hard on my wife, right? Because they're, you have to be a caretaker, you know, 26 out of the 24 hours a day. And you just can't, you can't get away from it. Right. And she's got a professional career and, um, 
in accounting and the payroll industry. Um, and I'd brag about her all day. But so when the kids were starting to get old enough that they were actually counting and marking the days that I'm home, it was easier to count than the days that I was gone. And um, that was, you know, local meetings, it was state meetings, it was national, but it was a lot of international, the block of time and without having the same level of internet that we have today and um, uh, phone capabilities, you really were unplugged. And if even if you were plugged in, you know, when you have a 10, 12 hour time difference, it's you're work, you're working, they're sleeping, they're sleeping, you're it's it's a vicious cycle. And it was hard to, you know, run a or start to try to help and really run a farm too. It was really just 100% my dad there for a while because you can't make daily decisions when you're off cycle like that. So, um, and then it came up that uh, um, many of you might remember, those are old enough, Wes, maybe not you, but Malaysian <laughs> Flight uh, 370 mm-hmm. um, disappeared into the ocean still today. They have no idea, right? March of 2014. And um, conferences came up for my kid, and he was grade school, really young. But conferences came up and said, hey, uh, and I wasn't there, of course, but hey, Angie, what's, uh, what's Sam up to? Well, he's working international, you know, working for farmers is great. And they're like, well, um, your, your son made a comment today that uh, he's worried about him. And what do you mean? Well, he, he heard about the plane crash. My wife don't watch the news. Um, and so he heard about that, connected the dots, was worried about his dad, and it was affecting his, his school. And that was a, holy crap, I really love what I'm doing, but holy crap, I'm having a not so good effect on my kid. Yeah. Um, and he's way too big of a deep thinker. We always called him the old man. <laughs> um, you know, the youngest old man you ever seen. But so those things started just started floating and started thinking at the same time. I started having little uh, little birds in my ear saying, hey, do you hear about this thing that uh, Greater Mankato's having conversations about? You should do that. And it, they talked about it for a long time. Well, a long time of that, I was keep having whisperings in my ear from multiple people saying, you need to have a conversation with Jonathan's ear. You need to consider this. And I'm like, no, I really like what I'm doing. Project um, Abe. Egg Business Epicenter. That's right. Yeah, Project Abe. Um, you know, basically a white paper mm-hmm. with four uh, little, tiny little buckets, hardly any content to it all, <laughs> but a big dream and a vision and, uh, and, and some good people around the table. Um, and so... Um, ultimately, after lots of conversations, the the thought of, of my kid, but also and the thought of, uh, you know, I, I, I passion of farming. And uh, Washington thinks they can farm from a couple thousand miles away um, in <laughs> politics, but uh, I couldn't figure out how to do it in the they reality. Think, they could run small businesses from <laughs> there, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the politics side. Uh, <laughs> cheers to that. Uh, and so ultimately thought, you know, this is um, uh, this is a startup. This is innovation. This is rethought. This is um, something that I could make a difference on that affects the community in the region that I stayed in. I grew up a quarter mile, traveled, seen the globe, um, you know, seen uh, little kids uh, selling water in a busy, you know, street, like a size, you know, bigger than New York City, trying to make money just for food. And here we have it all right here. We have an awesome community. Um, But, you know, I think they've forgotten about ag. Um, and the importance of it. And uh, I think I want to 
take this on. I think I'm, I think I'm up for it. I think there's a group of support people that were there to, to uh, help uh, kick that. I didn't have a lot of connections uh, because I had been not here. <laughs> I mean, I had connections in food and ag, but not necessarily from a local community. So it was a little bit pushing, you know, pushing a rock uphill. But, uh, but ultimately thought, you know, this sounds fun. This sounds good for the family. Sounds good for the long term of the, the farm being already, you know, 100 or not quite 100 years old at that time. Um, and so um, ultimately on uh, April Fool's Day, I started 2015. Um, Isn't that funny? Now, no, li- <laughs> life is short, right? You know, Jonathan's not with us, but looking back, I should have followed through on what I was going to do. And that was, I was going to call in sick or call in, change my mind on that morning <laughs> um, to mess with Jonathan April Fool's yeah. Day. Um, and I ultimately didn't because I thought, boy, that's a bad impression. But <laughs> looking back and knowing, you know, getting to know Jonathan uh, and the board and others, I, I think I could have pulled it off. Yeah. So I kicked myself for not taking advantage of That'd April Fool's funny. Day. Otherwise, I never remember a start date for anything. That's funny. But it's April Fool's Day. Yeah. I don't remember dates like that either. When we went to sign the lease for this office space, which, by the way, I was 22 years old and with like $5 in my checking account, and Aaron Hatampa did not know that when we were signing the lease. <laughs> and uh, it was funny because we, we came to sign the lease on October 31st on Halloween. And he was dressed as a convict. And I'm like... This doesn't bode well for this business <laughs> arrangement, Aaron. You didn't dress up, though. I didn't dress. I yeah, was dressed did, as a businessman. That's what I was. Do you think now as. you would have looking back? Uh, I, you know, Maybe not. It's not my style, but it, it, I, I second guessed it for a second with that outfit, and glad I didn't. But yeah, oh my! Funny. It's just funny how those types of things you know stand out in your mind. That's it, all. They they do. They it's the weirdest thing ever. But uh, well, for folks that don't know, what is Green Seam? What I mean, it started out as Project Abe. And yeah. uh, that that name was kind of the best that they could come up with at the time. But eventually, Green Seam was very intentional in that brand and what you guys are trying to do. What's the mission? Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. So I mean, the, the whole idea of Ag Business Epicenter was like, hey, we have something special here. We are this region of success that dwarfs other regions of size that are known for food and ag. And yet there was slogans. There was conversations. There was uh, efforts to say we're going to be something completely different as a city. And the reality of it is, is is it best to build on your strengths or is it best to try to change your weaknesses? And while sometimes you have to change your weaknesses, um, you should build on your strengths. And here's this awesome region community that has stuff that the world is striving for um, and building from. And the celebration of ag is kind of why we started that during COVID and, whole nother story. But so it was like, we can build on the strengths here. And so what it was is economic development focused around food and ag. Um, and there's a couple unique models of, of uh, economic development that we haven't been used to in Minnesota or m- most regions, but it's called industry clusters. And that industry cluster model is like, hey, you can measure size of things. You can put things together. The challenge in ag is it's so old that the, the codes that federal government and state government use have been split 10 million times, and actually it's hard to measure the impact of ag. <laughs> There's better codes for medical than there is for ag. And you'll even see like payroll reports of employment things, and they're like, and this is non-ag. yeah. Right, it's because that dwarfed the entire uh, U.S. Uh, for hundred and some years, right? 
And so now we struggle to say, well, what is ag and what's not? And ag is farmers. Ag is um, industries that are dairy and things. But even when it comes to manufacturing, there's 58,800 manufacturing jobs in the Green Seam, a 28-county region. 20,052 of them are food manufacturing. Was food manufacturing not ag? No, not the way they measure it. So Green Seam has had to, or Abe has to evolve to go, how do we even measure what's happening? Because clearly you have clients Mm -hmm. that are ag production. You can easily define, right? Yeah. They're paying you a service. Part of your company or your clientele is ag, but you will never be reported to our government or to the community that you're an ag business. Right. And, how do we break that down? That's what the industry cluster model looks at, but it's a challenge to get at some of the numbers. And so um, ours was, let's build on the strength that we have. We have a unique place that most people don't realize how um, strong and unique we are. And one of the first individuals that probably um, really reshaped some of my thinking, and he could also reshape community people thinking because he was one of these um leaders, one of these people that everybody's like, that guy's awesome. And you'll probably recognize the name, Tom Riley. Yeah. So Tom Riley was an important key in Midwest Wireless. And um, when I came on and uh, Tom was still, uh, actually was working part-time for Greater Mankato Growth as kind of an economic development liaison individual. But he's saying, he says, Sam, I need, to, I need to explain something to you. He goes, if it wasn't for Ag Midwest Wireless, would have never got off the ground, therefore never being the company that was, and we would have never had the impact we've had in the community. But everybody looks at Midwest Wireless as this technology company that um, is amazing and we need to do more of it. And the story he specifically said, and I can remember it almost verbatim, but he said, when we came out with this cell phone in a big bag, again, Wes, before your time, <laughs> maybe even yours a little bit there. Uh, 37. We never, how old are you? Uh, 44, 43 okay. right now. So just a almost little bit, 44. a little bit above, yeah. Um, I'm glad he's ripping on you a little be, bit about you're age. You're being quiet. Usually, it's usually me it. ripping on you about the age I'm thing. Fu- I, listen, guys, I'm the young one. There's no ripping on the young one. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the old farts. <laughs> Shit, so, he's right. Dang it. He's going to um, be 30 this year, by the way, I, in November. I, okay, enough with my age. No 30. one cares. Go ahead. Yes, Say they it. do. So he says, he goes, let me explain it this way. He goes, you have this expensive bag phone that wasn't great, um, that um, you had to pay multiple dollars Per minute, who bought those? Who paid for the service? He goes, the, all the professional service and all the people that had jobs and they all had cell phones at their desk, or not cell phones, they all had phones at their desk or they had access to their business. He goes, it was farmers. The CB radio or the FM radio were okay, but still if you went down the wrong hill, you couldn't get it from your house, blah, blah, they would buy these phones. And we got enough customers and clients through that, that eventually we could keep growing, growing, and then ultimately it became affordable that more people jumped on. And then, you know, we're now we're today where you can't walk away from your phone or you're freaking out, right? And so he would give credit um, and he knew the history and the inside of the, the game that they had, right? The company that said, if it wasn't for farm and ag, we would have never been successful, right? What a strong quote. 
I mean, that's I mean, a huge testament because a lot of people look at Midwest Wireless and say, oh, we do want to do, I mean, you already said it yourself, we do want to do more of that, but yet it's tangential, it's it's right there with egg. It's only existing because of it, so huge testimony. And it's hard to make those connections all the time, that yeah. that bag phone that I remember being in our middle console area of our van, Right. my parents had one, you know. That old, you know, yeah. open her up and there it is. Velcroed up. Yep, yeah, Velcroed up. Correct. That is something that uh, that egg pushed. And it wasn't enough units. Wasn't that the farmers invented that? I mean, that, those no. individuals were sold innovative enough. and thankfully they were in our community and not somewhere else, right? Because it did create this huge ripple effect of all kinds of jobs and careers and, you know, all kinds of things, right? But I... And he could tell that story where I, as growing up on a farm, of course, I can connect everything to ag, right? That's what everybody <laughs> gives you, gives me credit for all the time. But somebody like that that said it was not possible. And he would walk into a company and say, this is why we need Abe, Ag Business Episode. This is why we need Green Seamer. This is why you should be a part of it. And it'd be all the way to the point of who is the people going to our hospitals? Who is the people buying cars? Who is the people going right. to the restaurants, right? And how that ripple effect is had. It's not always the farmer, but it's the processor. It's the banker. It's the, it, there's a whole ripple effect there that um, when you look at the economics and the data, um, you have a, typically five sectors of the economy. It starts with natural resources. It ends with a government and research type. And you got manufacturing and all that stuff. When I first came, the first sector of the economy was published, it was written, it was talked about. The first sector of the economy was manufacturing. And it wasn't until I started learning this industry because I didn't know economic development and reading about it. The first sector of the economy is natural resources. But most cities and economic development groups skip over the first sector because their city don't have natural resources. They have manufacturing. Natural resources, whether it's, a, whether it's the Vetter Stone, Right, I mean, a hell of a business that's really had a huge impact in the quarry industry and all that stuff. That's natural resources. We have a little bit of timber in the area, not a lot, right? But then it's farming, and it's the rich soil that we have, um, and it's this thing that's created this ripple effect. And so I had to kind of reset everybody saying, no, quit saying it's the first sector. You're forgetting the first sector. Well, the first sector has more ripple effect of that dollar. That dollar typically from farm standpoint turns over seven times in a community. When you go down the economic uh, driver um, to retail, it turns over, you know, two, three times. And, and sometimes we forget that we have this. And if you, going back, I'm getting winded here, but you go back to the international standpoint, Brazil, we compete against Brazil for farming, right? Or we compete against um, uh, Singapore for finances, or we do all most of those countries are all strong, but they're missing a sector. Yeah. Um, Brazil, have you looked at their government? <laughs> That's a sector of the economy, and they don't have it, yeah. right? They're, they're completely missing it. Most of the manufacturing, you know, they don't have some of those things. Singapore, they don't have any natural resources. They have a water there. They do some farming, and I've been there. It's really cool, but they don't have all these sectors. They have an interesting government. They have uh, interesting finance, but they're missing a sector. Where our region... Yeah, we can complain about our politics. Um, we can complain about our regulations. We can complain, but it's actually really darn good. You know, there's always a room for improvement, if you're listening, legislators. Um, but 
it's we have those sectors and we're really unique. And so then that started that industry cluster conversation that we really do have something to tell a story about, to talk about, to brag about, and to focus on an industry that largely is ignored because you're always like, what's that next shiny thing? And you kind of forget of like, are we really going to, you know, build the next Tesla car here? Probably not. Could we build the next Tesla tractor here? Absolutely. They're doing it in Jackson, Minnesota. Why are we not focusing on that? Why are we always like, oh, let's chase something else. You know, what's that shiny object that's floating in front of us? So getting back to our basics of it's ag, but it's not just, we're not going to grow more farmland, right? So what can we do more, more efficiently, more sustainable, uh, multiple generations that's going to, you know, impact our community? No, that's that's great insight. If we could maybe touch on a little bit, I mean, I know GMG, uh, Greater Mankato Growth, ended up staking or putting the initial dollars in to kind of group it and make it a thing. But there was a group of individuals that were involved in the the founding of the organization or the planning process. If maybe you want to give a shout out or tell any stories about that process, because you were there, you were the first hire, the director. Yeah. And so you've got that history down probably more than anyone. Yeah. You know, that, uh, uh, was really interesting because even as at Soybean Girls, I was hearing there was some conversation started with this chamber group, which again, I had no concept of what this chamber group named GMG, Rita, Visit Mankato, all these, you know, acronyms at the time that I was just far enough away, even though I lived in the area, I just had no attention to it. And it was partly because those organizations didn't have any um, eyes towards food and ag. And so you didn't pay attention to them anyway. Um, but they're the ones that said, we need to do something about it. Um, so they had round tables. Um, they had um, different meetings starting at MSU and some other locations to say, okay, we've identified that food and ag is really, really key. But is there organizations out there? Is there work already? Do you even really want to have conversations with us? And that's where um, they invited a lot of people to the table that continuously said, yeah, we would, we'd be a part of something if you could you know, figure it out. We'll be a part of conversations. And so some themes started coming out of these roundtables um, from that. Um, what they call a steering committee was formed or a ad hoc committee. So project, Ag Business Epicenter was a project of greater mankato growth, right? It was just project like lots of other things. Um, and so they, you know, had a few meetings and met regularly and ultimately came down to, um, you know, uh, one of the things that Jonathan said is we need somebody to wake up every day that thinks about ag, that understands ag, that talks ag, that is developing a plan and uh, putting purpose to just some random idea of some uh, community members and business members sitting around the table saying, yeah, this is good, but what does that mean? And so I started with that steering committee um, um, of some amazing people that have done, you know, businesses around the region, um, some kind of completely a part of food and ag, um, some on the engineering side. So we had folks like, I hate to even start naming names because I miss somebody. <laughs> but you had Steve Kibble and you had uh, with Kibble Equipment, you had Cheryl Mischke with uh, Ag uh, AMPI. You had Gary Cook with a law firm. You had um, uh, Chad Supernot. Um, I think you guys have interviewed Chad a while ago. Um, and he might even mention something about Green Seam. So you had, we had, I think, 13 individuals that were part of that that said, we'll, we'll help you. We'll walk you through it. Um, but also at the same time, when I came to this, I said, uh, 
um, I, I want to be clear, Jonathan, with one thing. He's like, what's that? I said, if this is only about Mankato, I'm out. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm coming from the international world. We have something unique, but Mankato's a part of it, but it's the, it's the region. Like, we have no pea, pea and sweet corn processing in Mankato, but yet southern Minnesota leads in corn and uh, pea and sweet corn processing. So if you go to the store, you're most likely going to buy local sweet corn because it's from this region, but it's not processed in Mankato. It's Wasika, it's Montgomery, it's Blue Earth, it's at that time Sleepy Eye. Um, and I, I just can't fit in, in that narrow of a box. Yeah. So I said, if we can think about this as a bigger impact to the region and how all of our towns play off each other and how we all have strengths, um, just like, um, you know, Wasika has pea and sweet corn, but they don't have soybean processing, you know, and ethanol and all these other things go in effect to it. So I said, if we can think about this in a regional stance um, and looking at the industry cluster model where people think about Silicon Valley's industry cluster, well, it's one valley, right? Or you think of Wall Street, it's one street. Um there's other examples in the U.S. This would be a little bit wider geographic than most industry clusters. Madison Avenue. Madison Avenue industry cluster. Marketing. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. Right. And so if we think about this, he's threw me off You, there, were, you were thinking Mankato. Oh, Sorry. yeah. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> um, but if we think about this bigger, like I'm, I'm, I'm in. I mean, I'm like, it's it's a change. It's a big endeavor. Um, I always am on the, the I'm in for risk-taking. Um Maybe a little too much for my wife sometimes. I mean, uh, uh, she'll she'll tell you that, but uh, we've she's became to to say, okay, if you really think you've thought it through, I'll trust you and let's let's go for it. And there's a few of those. But examples. I'm gonna put on my seatbelt and put on my Michelin man suit. Yeah, exactly. Prepare for in my helmet. Prepare for the ride. Yeah, and Is there's been some says? there's been some buff, bumpy rides, right? Uh, but um, she said, let yeah, let's 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 do it. See what see what you can have make happen. The name. So who came up with the name? Um, so it became okay. So there's a couple things that came out of that. We had um, obviously, if it's a very descriptive name, you have Ag Business Epicenter. It started thinking around the table of like, okay, um, how did Silicon Valley become a name? You guys know? We heard this one yet? Uh, I feel like somebody told me at one point, but I don't yeah, remember. I feel like I know the story too, but I'm not remembering it, either. As soon it as was, he says it, I'm gonna. It was coined by a newspaper reporter in the 70s. Nope, oh, that's not okay. what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, until what year really did people know the Silicon Valley, right? It was the 90s. So you think about, okay, it was accidental. It took a long time <laughs> to become where people like, holy cow, there's something unique there, right? Um, Super Bowl, how'd that name come? It was a similar thing. It was accidental. Super fun. And now it's one of the largest brands in the world. Yeah. And those were accidental. And so our board said, you know, if we're going to do this, um, thankfully to, and part of this thanks is to greater Mankato growth. And, um, they had some reserve funding that was, um, could be used for unique special projects. And this was one that they said before they hired me saying, we're going to have some upfront costs taken care of to build something out before we have to go raise funds. That's one thing I've always enjoyed 
as a board member is we, we call them the strategic reserves. They're not just savings. They're strategic reserves because every once in a while a community has an initiative and they want to pour some, some dollars and energy into it. And that's what those dollars are for. And I think it's really great that we're forward thinking enough to have those at our disposal and deploy them at the right times like that. So. Right. And there's some great history to that of uh, consolidated communication and putting funds into that a long time ago, but they had this funds and they said, we're going to do this, but we're not going to ask out of day one industry to pay up for all this not going to raise membership. We're not going to do all this. We're going to use some of these funds. And so those funds were there um, more or less to cover the basic costs. They weren't there to do extra things, but they were there to cover the basic costs. And it said, you know, if we're going to be purposeful, we let, we better be purposeful. And if we're going to come out of the gate, um, what and should a name be? How should we describe it? What should it be? And so we jumped into a fairly significant um, research and fact-finding and branding uh, project that was a significant amount of money um, that we had to find some dollars to come up with it. But we ultimately uh, found a firm um, that did just that and did a lot of research. And there was a, a it was one of the hardest things ever. I mean, coming up with a name with a, a group of 15 plus people, um, much less community. So there was a handful of things done. But one of the things that came out was green. Word green. Green came from fact of if you're a tourist and you come to this region you do often see a lot of green yeah there's snow and there's whatever but during the summer and that i mean it doesn't compare if you go to kansas or if you go to arizona or Cal- it, it's green um and there's maps that our usda put together on how much um crop production or some people say biomass you know how much growth is there and then more intense color green each county the, the more you could produce, the more that was being produced. And of course, if you look in this region, it's the darkest green you'll see in the entire country. Um, the green also came from renewable energy. We were, we have been, we were, we've, the ethanol industry really started in this region. The biodiesel industry started this region. Um, and we've been green for a long time. Um, you can definitely add in wind. Um, at that time, there wasn't a lot of solar, but uh, wind in western Minnesota, Dodge County, some other areas. So there was some of that that came into the renewable energy of the whole encompassing renewable energy. And then also the, um, because of the, the numbers, green was prosperous, the dollar. We've never had um, extreme spikes in growth, but we've also have never had real extreme uh, fails. And it's because of the multitude of industries, you know, don't want to miss over the healthcare industry and some of the other manufacturing of other all kinds of parts and equipment and professional services that aren't limited to, to, but we've had this great economy and it's continued growth. And so green came from dollars, right? So then another word came in of seam and everybody asked, well, what the heck is that? Well, there was a couple of things. Um, we needed to work together and we thought of the connection of seam on clothing and stitching. It's, we have to work together. But also seam came in from, well, we don't have a coal seam or a gold seam or those types of things. We have this valley of rich soil that was deposited by the glaciers that we've maintained through lots of different production standpoints. And so we really can do a good job of producing because of this, this soil. And so we thought of the seam region as this valley of, of soil. And so um, ultimately we came down and said that is the the best word it's got the it's, it's hard to explain it's more abstract because um, we also didn't want um, to strictly come out of the gate and say this is the ag center because people that didn't think they're connected to ag completely won't even ask the question 
And so we had a name um, that has a little more reflective, you know, Apple. It makes you ask a question. Why did you name your computer company Apple? Right? What is green seam? It was the same mentality versus if we just came out of the gate and said, we're the ag place. Yeah. People are like. <laughs> the ag place. Yeah. Quality marketing. <laughs> right on. And so that name um, came out of that um, uh, work. And um, we felt like we had a lot of input on there. We had about 40 names to choose from. And, um, and then the logo is a whole other meaning. But that's, the, that's where the name came from. So you got a name, you got a mission, you, you personally have a mission and objective and passion here. How has it been embraced community wide? You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, if I would have realized starting off what, uh, 2015 to today and said, it's going to take you a lot of grind and a lot of work and a, and a lot of, um, blood, sweat and tears and all that, um, it, you know, you might've thought different, but I think most entrepreneurs, We'll say the same thing. And we heard a little bit of that story at the celebration of ag, which you had jumped into, right? We had three entrepreneurs talk and none of those, you know, came out of the bait out of the gate in the next week. They're like, Hey, we're doing great. We're on, we're, we're good now. Right. Yeah. Uh, many of your speakers you've had on the show. I mean, it's, it's not always been as glamorous as what maybe uh, it appears. And so um, sure we, you know, much more work put into it. Um, but it also um, was the right thing to do. And so just, kept after it and said, you know what, we, this, there's just too much here not to, there's too much in stake for the next generation or three generations from now, or, um, uh, to say that this is not the right, right direction to go, even though traditional economic development or other communities try to say that they're the ag region and all that's we haven't. Um, and so today, you know, we've, we've had a five-year plan in place. We're at four and a half of the five-year plan, um, that's really what kicked us off to say we are here to stay. We've had 100% retention in every single uh, company that supported us five years ago when we started off on a five-year plan um, and put together a, a big endeavor. We, we have 100% of those, and well, we've added to it. And I think that's a good thing to mention is, is how much of your, your model is funded by private industry. There's just a ton of stakeholders across the region that have identified this as a important initiative, important enough to commit tens of thousands of dollars in a lot of cases to making sure that you guys can continue to operate as an organization, further the mission, grow the brand. Uh, and they did it over a long term, and the retention level has been tremendous. And so it shows that there's just a ton of commitment across all of these private sector businesses that are super invested. Yeah, and it's not a huge list, and we were never set out to be uh, hundreds of members of, you know, whatever. We said, no, if you're mission-driven, you understand how everybody partaking in this and working together um, that will uh, hopefully either, you know, before COVID, slow the shrink of southern Minnesota of businesses um, to give opportunity to you as an existing business, right, or grow it, that we're in this for the long haul, we're in this together. Um, if we continue on the track that's showing for the region that's had, that also is going to reflect in your business. So very big thinkers, very long-term, um, and the majority of it by far is private company uh, individual investment. We have um, been fortunate enough to be able to show what we've been doing to the state of Minnesota and to our legislators to say, why are we not at the table? We should help fund and support part of that. But um, our goal is not to become um, 
large uh, government-funded entity. Uh, we want to be nimble. We want to have uh, people that are working on the ground, providing jobs for lots of families um, to help be the driver of it. And so this is definitely a uh, private-public uh, partnership um, that is, I don't know of another one in the state that's quite like what we're trying to do, that has community involvement, that has um, higher ed involvement and local, all the whole entire spectrum from, you know, of course you'd see larger ag companies that are a part of us, but we also see um, local individual companies that are a part of Green Seam. Well, you just mentioned the state. You guys recently received some additional funding above and beyond what you have in the past. That was one of your big kind of milestones so far. You want to speak to that? Yeah, we want to, you know, we've been able to prove the state saying, you need to be at the table. There's industry clusters in our state. So there's the iron range. It's a cluster of our state that's very successful. It provides a lot of careers, right? And the state heavily invests in that region. We have the medical uh, cluster in Rochester, Destination Medical, that gets a tremendous amount of dollars from our state. Um, you have um, the main metro area, the Met Council, and there's a very dedicated amount of funds that go specifically to you know the population center. And here we have this huge area of the state that's agriculture, um, that doesn't get the same attention for economic development. And we're saying, hey, we're a cluster here in this region. Um, we need to be at the table and you need to show, you need to support us because ultimately the um, largest driver of GDP in the state is agriculture. Um, and the Department of Ag's budget is the closest budget to other our state. I'm talking about our state full funds. I mean, it gets hardly nothing, yet it's the largest GDP driver. Why do you think that is, Sam? I mean, I, I mean, while I mean, ag is it's a driver, but it's not the it's not the sexiest thing. I was just gonna say, is it as sexy as the other industries? Is that why? And we've always had it. What right? about what about lobbyists? Is it just these other industries have you know, louder, squeakier wheels for lobbyists. And I mean, ag does all right for, for trying to work together, but at the same time, um, they don't have that same power. They don't have, um, we're, we're spread out over hundreds of farms, hundreds of medium and small size companies. And so sometimes your rally cry isn't as big as one or two or three companies that drive most of some of the other industries. Sure. You throw in um, soybeans when other people are throwing iron wrenches. Well, I don't know. Iron or, you know, it's, um, it doesn't I, hurt as bad. <laughs> and you can throw a wrench, lot of soybeans really. <laughs> and a little bit as, as you think of Minnesota Department of Ag, and the only thing you think about is how do they help farmers? And you forget about the entire rest of the, right. The sectors that all are here because of it. Right. Right. I mean, you can think of airlines and you're like, oh, wow, they're beautiful. They drive yeah. our economy. Sure. They're a part of our economy, but, you often forget about, you know, what yeah. this is. In our, you know, our region, I mean, we're, we're talking every year from the pork industry, like $8 billion economic um, impact. You know, we're, we're it's, huge. It, it's huge, but it's spread out over thousands of farms. Mm-hmm. So this is going back to what we talked a little bit about before, but how do we change that a little bit to get more people involved, to get people to understand and to want to invest more essentially in that, you know, being that you're just talking about, um, the involvement with egg, the in, the investment into egg, is that the you know come have breakfast at the farm situations? Is that how does the common person 
or how do you get the common person to come you know, up more? There's a few things I think. Um, how do we have a conversation of ag and food and what jobs and opportunities are out there? What innovations needed? You know, what's what's next in in it? There's a, there's a few things getting. Um, so one of our four areas that was started from that we're still core to is the talent area, which it was pretty much out there of people looking at us going, you're going to talk about talent, your ag and your economic development when we started. And now today you cannot have a conversation with economic development without talking about job, talent creation, those things. So, so it seems like we're just in the ball game with everybody else. But if you turn the clock back to when you started this, most communities, economic development, they didn't have a talent program, right? And so we started that conversation. We had uh, Minnesota State, Mankato, uh, University of Mankato, South Central College, University of Minnesota, all on our board from day one. It, because talent was that critical and important to those leaders that helped shape those four core priority areas, which are still here today. And they were ahead of me because I ultimately came on and said, I don't know anything about talent. I don't know if we're going to do anything on talent. I'll be honest. And now it's we spend more time on talent than we do other programs because it all relates to yeah. what we need. And so um, there's a, there's a few things there um, that we hammered on um, and some been some really big wins. And that is we need to start the conversation younger. We can't walk in to somebody that's already, ed- already went through college and say, Hey, come over here. Yeah, there's, there's careers in ag. And they're like, ah, I'm not going to be in the environment. <laughs> yeah, and um, we didn't start earlier. And one of those um, was is if you look at the entire region, we had a lot of schools that had ag, ag programs, but we had some key ones missing. And one of those key ones was the largest school district in what we call the Green Seam, and that's the Mankato Area Public School. They had no ag program. It was, you know, Steve Kibble was on Connect. He was one of the last ones to graduate or that had the opportunity to go through an ag program and whatever, eighties, whatever. Yeah. Not to date you, Steve. That's, um, well, that's your issue. The one that you're featured hey. in here, the 2000, what is this? 2016? 2016. It was after yeah. Green Seam just launched. August and July, 2016. Oh. Right there. Boom. And if you want to read a little bit about Sam's early start in Green Seam, there you go. Go yeah. onto the Connect Business Magazine website, check out the archives, look for that issue. Whoop, whoop. And so part of that was, was why? And the conversation with leadership was, hey, there's a declining in, in farmers. The numbers, if you look at the stats, right, I mean, how many people are farming and how many people are farming today? And there's a, a little bit of a pendulum that's still swinging, saying we still don't know how many farmers we really need at the end of the day. We don't need ag programs because we don't need to teach new farmers. And it was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Ag isn't just about farming. It's science, yeah. You know, it's biology. It's all these things that relate to it. It's food. What's, what is your food? And um, so it was having a conversation saying, you know, I think it's, there's an opportunity here that we're missing. And if we look at other industry clusters, one of the components that Mankato's or this region is missing is the education driving towards that industry to say there's opportunities, push innovation, push new thought provoking. And um, so a lot of conversation in the Mankato school district is saying, um, we, we, you really need to reconsider what you mean by ag, what type of program that would look like, um, what would, what would fit. So it might not even be called ag, right? What is it going to be called? I don't care. Just get it in your science rooms, get it in your business rooms, get it in your computer science, whatever ag fits all those, but have that conversation. So we have this talent pool. Yeah. And, um, so ultimately, um, a number of people were key to that, but said, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. 
we'll give it a shot. We, we, we think we can do it. And so, um, we ultimately, uh, were at the table and, um, um, got lucky to have a, a young gentleman that uh, said, you know, I, I'm interested in building a new program because, again, ag teachers are short. Uh, there wasn't a lot of programs in our state for it. There's a shortage of them already then. And so uh, we ultimately recruited. The community and the business community had conversation with the person saying, if you come, I'll be behind you. Because if it was just the school and their <laughs> funds, it's hard to do things. Yeah. And, um, and so ultimately got them to come here. Um, the students had to sign up before they even knew a name, a teacher, exact, just general intro ag. Ultimately, they got enough for uh, 40 kids the first year. And then once they met him, once they seen uh, that he had um, people behind him to support him, um, within a few years, there was a second teacher hired, um, still to this day, 100% funded by industry. There's a greenhouse built, 100% by industry. Um, and now there's over 400 kids enrolled in the Mankiel School District. Well, kudos to you guys for making that happen, first off. And and second of all, probably really important that you start young, too, given some of the unfortunate political headwinds that you face from time to time, too. I know when we very first started down this road, we were talking about some of the pork industry challenges yeah. specific to California. That's one segment. I've got another question down the line. But to get back to that question, that might be a good segue to just talk about some of the headwinds even, you know, for that industry, which is so important in Minnesota. Yeah, the headwinds, you know, really start because there's such a disconnect of, of actual production. But there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. And um, and today there's, you know, um, the consumer has um, a lot of pull, you know, and so what do they want? It's not just, are you eating to live, you know, or, you know, what are you doing? And it's like, no, we're, we're living and we want, we want uh, different things and we turn it into our daily life and the, in the U S and some other parts of the world, um, that have, a, a much higher income level and, um, uh, some of the lowest, um, food costs per, per person in the world and percentage wise. Um, now you take out food service of that, because if you start looking at the U S and our food service, we, we like to eat out, you know, we don't cook at home as much as we could, but yeah, if do. you compare apples to apples of, actual dollars spent to food, the U.S. is one of the lowest ones in the world. And so we have this ability to spend on different things and demand different things. And so the industry is having an a interesting time of communicating and what does those consumers want? What do they think they want? What have they been told in social media? What's reality? What's not? And it starts getting really, really complicated. And so that was the other part of this, of this ag education part of the high school that how do you get the the food science in there? So it's a change from maybe what you'd think as your home ac and cooking. It's no, it's about the the science of food. What's what's creating good good proteins? What's not so good proteins? Um, and so that education really starts um, at a young level um, because they're disconnected from growing it in their garden because most people don't live with that access or don't do that because it's a lot of work. Yeah. No, it's super, super important. I think we were talking before the podcast a little bit about, um, is it Provider Pals? Is that group that you're, you've got a friend that started? Oh, okay, Se- segue. Yes, so <laughs> Provider Pals, that was, so when I was at Soybean Growers, um, one of these things was like, how do you, how do we connect with people? And um, we came across this program, um, not developed in Minnesota, developed out of a little town called Libby, Montana, um, that um, said, you know what, we need to bring and connect people. 
we don't need to go and preach to them on how I farm or how I cut trees down or how I catch fish or whatever it is, but we need to bring the resources. So what's the key resources to, to, to life, right? And so you have um, the need of, of fish, you have the fishing industry, uh, seafood, right? It's a protein. You had farming. Uh, we had ranching. Um, they brought mining um, and uh, timber all to the table and said, we need to connect with the real person that's logging or fishing or farming and ranching to a school and let them tell their story. And so um, soybean growers said, you know what? That's an interesting concept. Let's, let's give that a try. Let's start in the Twin Cities. Um, and so um, we would bring in a suitcase of little model tractors of different products from soy and corn and, and that farmers would have. And then ultimately you'd show a slide deck of your farm and you're showing them to kids. So you're connected. So like, here's my dog, you know, here's our farm. Here's when we get up in the morning. Here's what we do. And then um, the provider pals would bring somebody in from the fishing industry or the timber industry and mining. And, and so you would rotate through these classrooms and these kids would get to know like, Hey, here's somebody that actually like really farms. And ask all kinds of, nothing was off the table. Career day on an industry level. Yeah. And so it really started opening your eyes to, uh, these kids are sponges. They have no preconceived notions. Um, I think they were fifth graders maybe. Um, and it was just a blast. It was a, it was a really hoot. Um, the teachers loved it. They embraced it. So they'd start to have to have this um, natural resource day. And so you took over the school or all these uh, providers, a part of provider power would take over the school. You get letters from the kids um, back afterwards. They would talk about what they learned or what they want to know more about. You'd have kids, you know, you'd explain rock picking. And all of a sudden you'd have 10 people in the room saying, I want to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you grow a rock? You know, no, you don't. You haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. They hadn't done it, but they all thought it was like, that sounds, you know, out, very You're different. Hired. You're yeah. hired. No. Um, I, I wasn't allowed to. The teachers told me. Oh, so I tried. I tried, Wes. I'm like, I'll do this and I'll pay you in food and candy. And they're like, yes. Um, Damn and child labor laws. What else was fun is. things. You'd also get connected to these other folks and learn yeah. about what they're dealing with in their industry. Um, and it, you'd really even connect with. Um, I got to go to, to, to New York City and. Uh, go to this school that was right off Central Park. And when they first described it, they're like, oh, no problem. Just get to the airport, jump in a subway, you know, and, and come out here and you walk a couple blocks or, you know, and, and then once you get to that point, you're going to have to grab a taxi cab and then finish your, your commute because you got a suitcase. You're not going to walk all that. So I, I, I did just that. Well, I got to uh, the end of my destination for my sub, the subway, and I come out of there and I start trying to hail a cab, which I've never done to myself in my life. And uh, they're all full. Well, I was on the part of town that everybody was already was leaving. It was the end of the day. So after a number of minutes, starting to be unsuccessfully finding a cab that would stop and that wasn't having people in it, it starts raining a little bit. And that's, oh, that's fantastic. I got a suitcase on wheels. We'll go. So I start walking. Next thing you know, I'm walking underneath the Letterman sign <laughs> and uh, trying to find my way to this, uh, this hotel. And I, by the time I get there, I'm like, boy, I need to go back to the country. This is not, <laughs> this is not for me. Um, and, and then uh, throughout the day, we met with a, 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 one of the teachers was hosting all of us providers. There's six, seven of us that came to, 
to, to New York City to talk with the school. And others had done this before to this particular school, and I had not. And so we met at this teacher's house, and she was super proud of the place she had. Um, and it was a shoebox. Yeah. And you're like, wow, okay, I'm appreciating the, what the locals are, are really, really excited about. And the next day before we went to sc- or before we had class, we said one day yet. And uh, so like, let's go to Central Park. And I'm like, oh, great. We're going to see trees and grass and walk on a path and it's going to be sun and great. And that's, and that's what it was. But when you heard their perspective, they're like, this is what we got. Yeah. This is how we can take a breather. This is how we can relax. This is what we appreciate. This is um, our paradise. And you're like, wow, I never really thought that because when you walk through, you're like, go back to Minnesota. You can, you know, go to Sibley and you go to Minneopa and you go all these, they're much cooler places. Yeah. Right. But um, for them, it's a really unique place. And so you, you really started getting grounded. Then you go into school and classroom and you meet with these kids and they, they think you're a hero. Um, they have no concept. They think it's uh, you have the greatest job in the world. And that's when it started hitting me going, maybe I do, you know, or less than 2% less than or close to 1% of the population gets the opportunity to farm and produce a product that people really do want and appreciate if you can get to that level of conversation of what you do and, and uh, have that. So heck of an experience. I don't know if that's where you wanted me to go, but that was my experience. No, that's, that's great. And I think uh, it's great that Mankato has their own program that's going on. So they, maybe they don't need it from a agricultural standpoint, but hopefully that the different school districts across the state have their own opportunities to get those types of experiences across multiple industries. Because we were talking before about that Minnesota chamber series, that leaders lab program where you know, you get to go and you get to experience all of these different industries that Minnesota has to offer, agriculture being one, but timber and mining and everything that we have to offer. It's it's impressive when you get to see what we are as a state, what makes up our economy, both the, the pros and the cons, the challenges and the opportunities. So I, I hope that more and more folks at younger ages get to understand that from a, an early stage because I think it helps get a better perspective about what makes the entire economy run. It, it really makes a tick, and, and <clears throat> it's, it's also interesting on how those industries that, like, I've never been connected to the, finish, uh, the fishing industry, or I've never been connected to the timber industry. But some of their challenges that they've um, have had um, is now kind of moved into production agriculture. Um, and um, the, the it's just really interesting on what's happening. The the person that built Provider Pals built it maybe a little bit out of um, desperation of his industry was being attacked because people didn't understand it. He was in the timber industry? Yeah, he was a logger. His family, he was, boy, I don't know, for sure third uh, generation logger. Um, and their community, their region, their economics were all off of timber. Um, they're up in the mountains, um, beautiful not too far from Glacier, um, up in that, that handle of, uh, of Montana up in there. And um, it was being attacked, and it was mostly being attacked by people that didn't understand what they were doing. Uh, what they knew, they loved wood, but what they knew they didn't like is stumps. And, um, and they had a very different opinion of what that landscape should look like and how it should act and it uh, turned into the detriment of their community, their region of, um, of people didn't like the way they were doing it and made policy changes that uh, 
weren't in the best interest of what's happening in that community and weren't in the best interest of natural resources, but they believed it was. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of debate and you can look at Canada or look at Minnesota even right now when it comes to our air quality, right? About things like forest management. Um, and one of the things that, again, we were talking about before the podcast, uh, I always thought, well, I don't know how much I buy into some of this because I think of the sequoia trees in California. And I, I just think, well, they've been around for hundreds of years. I mean, there really hasn't been fires there was my mentality. But you were educating me before the podcast. Yeah. It's not exactly it's, true. Right. I mean, manage it. It's got to be managed, right? I mean, um, what I learned from um, this gentleman, he's got a book too, uh, Bruce Vinson, um, was about these forests were managed by people or by nature for thousands of years. And um, humans usually do a pretty good job of screwing things up. And ultimately, we, we did. We screwed things up um, in the way of saying, let's put out and snuff out every little little fire um, to the point then where we have a, lots of old growth that has a, um, it has a time span. And a lot of the, the pine and a lot of those types of trees, that's 100 years. You know, they're, they're not a thousand-year tree. And so if you don't manage it, then nature will. And um, we're, we're seeing the effect of that. And uh, when I got to know Bruce, um, you know, back a long time ago now at this point, um, he's, he explained these things were going to be managed by nature or they're going to be managed by people. And we had the choice. And ultimately our policies and our um, thoughts and views uh, were to say, no, let's let nature do it. And now um, we're, we're suffering some of these things, um, both both in the regards of, of what's happening with fires, but also communities um, have lost sawmills, have lost uh, wood manufacturers, have lost lots of things. Now, today, we import a lot of our wood materials from Canada. We don't produce as much as what we should in the U.S. And um, Minnesota, there's billions of board feet of wood every year that that get old. They fall down. They start breaking down. They're, they're wasted, Then they're not used for what we would like in home construction, Um and we really seen the effects of that during COVID when borders were shut down and things we, I mean, we rely on Canada and look what lumber prices were. Yeah. Well, slight change in topic, uh, just because the organization that you run has made a slight shift as well. Uh, maybe not so slight. Green Seam to Green Seam Futures. If you could give us a little perspective on what Green Seam Futures is and where it was born from and why it's important that it exists now. So it's, it's, it's a shift, but it's, all, it's a more of an addition. Um, and so as Green Seam's evolving, um, we're, we're still staying true and focused to our four areas of Green Seam, um, you know, talent work and development, the creation of businesses, um, the retention of existing, and how do we support those. Um, one quick number on that is 85% of growth of a community is typically from existing businesses. So sometimes we overlook that and what's, what's the next thing, but we got to support what's here. Um, and then um, the last is we got to tell our story because if we don't tell our communities and our region story, no one's going to tell it for us. Kentucky isn't going to brag about the green seam, right? Yeah. So we have to do that. Um, so the evolution of green seam is saying, you know, um, we, we also need to, to add a little more dynamic uh, to our, our organization. And that's where green seam futures came in as a 501 C three um, charitable organization um, that can take a different set of funds, but also has a little slightly different uh, focus where it's all has to be somehow tied back to students and learning and education, but yet real world business projects 
Um, and so we have um, some passion projects in the works now that we're not quite ready to release all the details on, uh, but they're in, uh, whether it's helping a, uh, a business and innovation succeed by involving students to help with some of that innovation and those details, whether it's taking a community or a regional challenge or a, a problem or a perceived problem and figuring out how to put research to that to make an impact for long-term um, success of our region, and uh, whether it's some studies and some information, but again, all these are going to have students involved at some point, whether it's high school or college or um, four-year university tied to it, but also business tied to the same time. Um, there's some interesting models that we've looked at uh, internationally that tie a little bit more of that together, um, but we took a kind of a hybrid approach to that. And uh, just this last fall, um, got the go-ahead to go on it now. So now we've, uh, we have some dollars committed by some... Um, generous individuals and uh, we're moving ahead with these passion projects that I can't wait to share more about here as we move into the into the the next phase of green seam and so it's a growth so green seam and green seam futures moving together um, and have the ability to work in slightly different areas but yet the same mission same similar mission Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it uh, pairs well with my next question, which is my last question before I turn it back to you, buddy. Uh, Envision 2040. I know that's not exactly what we're calling it, but I like to call it that because it just seems more concise. For Greater Mankato Growth, we're working on our next plan from a community planning standpoint. Looking at 2040 is kind of that benchmark. Uh, I was in the room for one of those planning sessions. It seemed like there was quite a bit of consensus uh, <laughs> whether it was intended on your part, Sam, or if it's just the fruits of your labor, uh, it seems like there's a lot of energy and excitement around agriculture as a part of our future planning, maybe more so than ever before. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are both on the process itself, but then also where you see our community continuing to uh, grow and, and move forward from an agricultural standpoint. Yeah, so uh, transforming tomorrow together, uh, Greater Mankato 2040, um, is really a building upon the success of these previous um, community thinking. Uh, Envision 2020 and some other ones that I wasn't here for, but they were su- extremely successful, have done amazing things, and um, it's, it's all about taking what we've built and how do we get to that next level. How do you look at other communities, um, the inner city leadership visit um, that I've had the pleasure of going on a couple of them to and really open your mind to say, yeah, a community that's going to be strong needs a number of sectors, right? And these uses live, work, play, right? And how do you build up all those? Um, and what's all happening there and where can we, what can we gather that we can learn from others? And so it's came out a little bit of that. There was a little more of a regional collaboration when you went to Northwest Arkansas, than there was other places. And it really got people thinking of saying, wait a second, there are multiple towns, there's multiple education part, there's some things going on there, what can we learn from? And so um, that that happened a few years ago. Um, also, obviously, we're past 2020. <laughs> and so uh, how does this community, community really want to rally and focus together? And so this uh, project, um, I've had the ability to be on the strategic working group um, it sounds like a fancy name, but it's more of um, logistics of how do we bring people together? How do we take others' ideas and build some consensus? It's not about our group being 
the strategy for Mankato <laughs> for 2040. Um, and so um, if, if you want to be on this, you, you might be um, less amused to be on the, the strategy working group, but we've tried to figure out how do you bring people together for a long enough time that they can come out with um, some more flushed out ideas and consensus, but also knowing that the people we want at the table are, are business leaders, they're community members, they all have day jobs or other things to volunteer for or places to be or kids to take care of. And how do you, how do you create that conversation? So we had a few meetings on, um, on Fridays. Um, it seemed like it, it worked for a portion. I'm sure we missed out on some of the segment, but along with that was a survey that um, had over, what was the number? 600, 800, 600, 800 uh, survey respondents. Um, and so we were able to gather information from whoever could fill out a survey and take time at a, at a computer. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, Mankato's unique in a way where we're not one industry or one um, community, but it's also that all these future projects or future processes have all been strictly Mankato. And so this one is trying to say, how does it look if we engage our community surrounding? Mankato has not been successful only because of Mankato. It's because of people in all the communities around here are shopping here. They're working here. They're, they're investing here. And so there is this regional play, but then there's a lot of questions. Well, how big is the region? Is this, is this many miles or this many drive minutes or what does it mean? And then are we really planning for the other communities or are we planning Mankato? And so it's a little hybrid of like, we want input so Mankato can continue to grow, but not at the expense of another community. Right, we really want Mankato to grow in a direction that will support and build other communities. We really want to have a, a different thought process, and it's much. Um, and so we haven't even got to the part yet of what's the tactical, what's the tactical things. Yeah. Um, but yes, coming out of that, if you look at um, the future and you look at climate change, the global demand for food, if you look at the proximity to global centers. Uh, mega cities of the Twin Cities. If you look at all these combination of components, it makes you think and go, "Well, I know what I want, but what is what's outside pressure and demands being?" And so, there's been a lot of conversation about what is it that we have from housing. What does our housing look like? You know, um, it's been our universities and our higher education. We have a lot of students in our region that are it's doing extremely well, but we're not retaining them, or not a large enough portion, right? We have um, this medical service industry that employs a lot of people. You know, manufacturing. We have agriculture that, you know, as we talk about ag and the ecosystem, it includes manufacturing, it includes a lot of these things, but um, the global presence of the world doesn't all get to grow food. They don't get that choice or they don't have that intellect. So we have that here. So there's something unique. And so the conversation keeps coming up of ag. It keeps coming up of how does ag and medicine um, and how are those dynamics tied to, tie to each other and how do we evolve that? But it's a pretty um, steep uh, vision that it's not as tactical as like, I just want uh, Riverfront Drive to be uh, fixed so I'm not in a pothole. You know, <laughs> and we have to get people out of that, that mindset to say, no, like we're not talking like what do they already have planned in their books to redo? what do we need to be to really stay relevant or increase our relevancy in a global marketplace that we all operate and live in? Oh, that's good insight. 
Um, I, I think it's been an interesting process to be a part of, and I haven't been a part of all the pieces, so it's yeah. unfortunate for me because I feel like I'm missing certain segments, but it definitely seems like agriculture has been a main theme of it, and I, I'm interested to see when we get to the tactical stage of, okay, what does this look like from an execution standpoint, how that breaks down, and, and what we coalesce around as a community to say, yeah, these are our priorities, because the last one seemed very geographic centric in let's make a very livable and vibrant downtown and nothing wrong with that, but very different from the type of conversation that I feel like we're having now. So, yeah. And you know, I've, I've been at the meetings and definitely a part of it, but also try to limit, you know, what I'm pushing for because green seam region is this large region. It's already, it's already dialed, you know, of what it is. Um, and so we don't need to um, just flex our way to make Mankato be different. So I want, you know, Mankato leaders to also pick that uh, direction um, and and also don't want to influence it, but it it does come up. Like if you look at what we are really unique at, um, we have, we have uniquenesses that are driving, but it is sometimes really hard for individuals to connect and see um, how that plays out. What's, how do you, you know, if you play the dot of, if you always know the dot you're connecting to, um, you're playing safe, but most innovators do not, can't connect all the dots of how that's really going to work um, until after it's there. And I think that's where we're, everybody, some people are very much, well, I got to connect the dots before we can do anything. In some regards, you have to connect every dot. Yeah, fair point. Well, I'm going to leave probably a dozen different questions that I have written down here on the table just because I feel like we've gone quite a significant <laughs> amount of time and Aaron... I know you've got more questions, so you go right ahead and take the reins. Okay, I'll take them. Uh, it's been fun to sit back and enjoy all the education, Sam. Thank you so much. At the end of every episode, which you might know if you listen to some, we get to the final five questions. We call the wind down, brought to you by our friends at Jankaska. So uh, if you're ready, Sam, we're going to throw five questions at you. You answer them however you wish. As long as it takes to answer. I'm not sure I want to get to this part because these can be tricky. So I might want to just continue another. Like, what is your questions, Wes, that you wanted? I mean, maybe we want to go back to that because I've seen a few people tripped up by your. Don't worry. uh, I feel like I went pretty easy on you, but you never know. Maybe I didn't. All right. Well, I'm I'm ready. I'm fired. You got the bottle there if you need to, you know, lazy Susan that thing around you. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Question number one. For Sam Ziegler. Am I saying it right? Ziegler. Damn it. Yeah, I thought, we talked about Ziegler. this at we Pub did 500. We did at Pub 500, yeah. yeah. Just Z-I-G, like Ziegler, yeah. Ziegler. <laughs> That's right, I've been called worse. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the German stuff and all the enunciations, whatever. All right, so question number one tonight. This is, the first two questions are a little bit of a quiz, a quiz question for you. All right. Okay. So you had mentioned early on in the podcast that Minnesota was like the number three or four producer of soybeans in the nation. Is that three correct? Of, three of soy. Three of soy. It was corn. I wasn't sure. If we Who's number corn. one soy producer in the nation? Iowa. Are you sure about that? The number one producer of soybean in the U.S. is Iowa. <laughs> I would like. <laughs> he didn't hesitate. I, so I would like I to think that is accurate. <laughs> but for some reason, according to my, my research, it's Illinois. No. No. <laughs> 
shit. Great lead off, Aaron. Susie also nice produced my... No. Susie didn't produce <laughs> it. Don't throw Susie under the bus. She is a nice lady, Aaron. She is I'm, a nice lady. I'm confident in that one, so I will and say never you're wrong. Her. And you can buy me another you know, glass of Shancaster. You're very, you're very confident. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to bet on... And, not, and I was part of the green team, so we talk about Northern Iowa as part of the green team, so I, it, I do appreciate them as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it said something about like, you know, I was using 2009 statistics. I thought that was updated enough. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, buddy. Next all try. Right, try number, again. No. <laughs> He's not sweating at all now. <laughs> number number two. Uh, number one world producer of soybeans. Um, that is changed from the U.S. to Brazil in the last few years. Correct. Otherwise, the U.S. had that uh, reins for a long time. Um, but I think the most sustainable and efficient and um, highest quality, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, bet against the U.S. You are correct. Uh, 2021, it looked like it kind of shifted over More to recent Brazil. Data. More very, recent data. Very recent. <laughs> yeah, but the, the recent data for for Illinois was very recent too, so you might want to check that. Yeah, I will. Just I saying. Will. Talk about that. <laughs> He's later. not going to check it, folks. He's yeah. not going to check it. All right, question number three. Uh, there, There's actually two small parts to this particular question. These are uh, complete the joke. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Here we go. You ready? ready you, you have kids. You're in the industry. What kind of things does a farmer talk about when they're milking cows? How's Bessie Teats looking? Utter nonsense. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, got me. All right. There's a second part to this. There's another joke. All right. All right. What did the mommy cow say to the baby cow? Aaron's really excited oh, for this one. It's got to be something about moo. I mean, it's got to be something moo. I don't know. It's pasture bedtime. Pasture. Oh. Pasture. That one's pretty I like that. Ooh. Yeah, but I like it because I got yeah. kiddos, and I have to tell yeah. my son Remy all the time, it's, buddy, you know, I don't always say it's pasture bedtime, but it's time for it, bed. You, Daddy needs to pour himself a drink Listen to and this two-and-a-half-hour podcast. <laughs> Did you tell your kids, too, that the milk does come from the farm, not the store? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've had those conversations. Okay. All right, good. We watch some shows on uh, YouTube and other, uh, you know, different channels that talk the about millennial farmer arms, Zach Johnson. I, I've heard of them, yeah, millennial popular farmer. One. Yeah, that's yeah. a popular one. I think we ought to get a podcast started with you and you explaining things on the farm. Maybe oh, driving absolutely. some things. Side note, quick question Is it <laughs> you, if you're driving a combine, you know, down the road or a tractor down the road, right? Obviously, yep. the same thing probably applies for drinking and driving. Yeah. I assume. What about in a field that you own? Um, Off-road, it wouldn't be highway uses, but I... Um, so if you wanted to pour yourself a stiff drink while you're in your own field. That's a terrible idea. That's <laughs> a really terrible idea. Like, when you're done for the night and you got dust in your face and eyes and stuff, oh... <laughs> that would be a great little nightcap, but not during it. And a little bit worse than just looking out the the window at your lawn the next morning, maybe after mowing your lawn, tipsy. Oh. <laughs> wow, those lines are not straight. That'd be a little worse. Than you the know, I have field, a feeling that someone's going to make a visit tomorrow, and they're going to have <laughs> you know lights in the top of their car saying, "What's going on out here?" or something. I don't know. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, when I feel is, that this is a bad way. I'm surprised <laughs> there isn't a cop that sits out here Monday through Wednesday waiting for us to get done with the podcast. What day we record uh, this? We don't say. Yeah, no. nobody knows. It's Friday and Saturday. Question number four: What's next for Ziegler Farms? Alpaca, hemp. What's next for Ziegler Farms? Um, I mean, you know, so our latest our latest things have been uh, pheasants. 
Um, yep. we, we grow and then release them just for the fun of it. We don't hunt, but we grow and release them. So, uh, we're going to be releasing them here this, this, uh, next, uh, short time. Um, what's next beyond that? Um, you know, how do we, how do we grow? Um, so I can bring another generation back, um, would probably be the, the biggest challenge I've got on my head. Cause I would love nothing more than see my kid be able to come back and be successful, but it is not enough income now. Are you going to rent acreage or buy acreage? I don't. Or? I don't think. I don't think it's the rental. Um, I mean, buying it's a long term game because it. <laughs> if you look at the value per acre, you just it's, tough. it's probably the worst investment that most people could ever make. Yeah. Um, it's more so that that's a long, long, long term game. Um, so I don't. I don't know exactly what it is. If it's a service that Noah can bring back or. Or, you know, I think we do have opportunity to um, indoor year-round growing um, because it just doesn't make a lot of sense to bring in products from other places of the U.S., the world, so we can consume them. And so how can we do those internally? Some companies are figuring it out, but it's not necessarily down to a, a real local level yet. So I don't know, maybe that or... You know, I've told my kids, it's, you know, you can buy more farmland if you become a doctor first. And, and then once you become good at that, you know, your income can buy land that you can farm when you're retired. Um, so that's another opportunity. That's <laughs> not for true. me, but um, there's just not the income there that there is in other things. Yeah. Last question of the night, Sam Ziegler. Oh. Thank you again for joining us and educating us um, on all the things egg. Appreciate that for sure. Uh, question number five is one to repeat quite often. It's message. And message is good. It, we, we like that because it's, uh, it's good to hear people's messages from all industries, all walks of life, all ages, all those things. Uh, this is the message to Noah, Alec, Alec, right? Mm -hmm. And your wife, Angie. All the people you've met, all the people that have given you opportunities up to this point, all the places you've traveled. If tonight was your last night, on this floating orb in the sky we call Earth, what would be your message to the people? You know, um, uh, I'm a strong believer in work ethic, uh, honesty, um, and humbleness. Um, and so if you live by those um, and then connect yourself with um, others that have similar um, views, um, you will have a great life. Um, there's everybody puts their pants on the same way every day, one leg at a time, right? So no matter what level they are, don't um, be shunned away. Um, and uh, you know, don't burn a bridge. Because no matter how painful it is, sometimes just bite your tongue, um, you'll end up crossing it. And it's a lot harder the second time after you burned it. Uh, but other than that, um, I surely have to give credit to my risk-taking, my success. Um, if it messages to no one, Alec, your mother's amazing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you got to find those people you can trust and hold on to it. And they've surely gave me that opportunity. Um, 
And if I do go out, I, I sure hope it's by a beer truck or something fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Something memorable, notable. Uh, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't want to fall down and not wake up. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know. Well, and back to your message, life is who you spend it with and what you make of it, right? I mean, that's basically right. the summary of what you said, and I, I like that a lot. I think that's very true. So, Amen. Well, thanks for putting egg in the forefront of uh, Southern Minnesota and Mankato and and in the region, really. I mean, uh, Green Seam is something I've heard Wes talk about a lot. A lot of our guests mention it, you know, in podcasts, if they're connected with the chamber, just different businesses. And I'm always learning. That's one thing I love about this podcast. I I feel like just a student half the time in class listening to professors talk about their industries and their education. So thank you for educating us on it. Thank you for being a part of this community and and helping us grow egg and put egg at, uh, put egg in the conversation, really, you know, so appreciate that for sure. Well, I'm humbled by inviting me to this because I see the other people that have came before me um, and gotten plenty of insight from many of them. And, uh, and, and so unbelievable that you even included me. Um, a couple of the words that you can remember um, is sunny Lottie is come by, come by salute or in other words, bottoms up. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Shit, so I'm empty as hell. They're all, they're all Cheers. the same, same meaning. <laughs> You know, it's funny. We've had a lot of guests that say something similar to like, I'm surprised I was invited as in comparison to other guests. And all I can think about is, do you remember who the hell's interviewing you? <laughs> we're nobody. So we're just making this up as we go. I remember when you were starting <laughs> OMG and we had a conversation up in the, the building. That's so true. Yeah, it was, it was uh, still Project Abe at the time. And uh, I think... Uh, yeah, Project Abe or early green seam of, you know, type of thing. And oh, you're like, hey, I think I'm going to do a... I think I want to start a media group and and we had really bad business cards that we had a (laughs) typo on and you were the first person to point them out on and that (laughs) I will admit that listen you make mistakes when you're in a hurry and you're working with like I think we did like uh what's the gosh FedEx Kinko's yeah, we did like goes. a quick Kinko's yeah. print. It wasn't even was a Crowley. It, instead of OMG, was a GMO? No, just kidding. That's <laughs> yeah, a whole other topic. <laughs> that is another yeah. topic. And I meant it when I said that I left like a dozen things that we could have talked about off of this list. And so I think we need to come back and we need to do a second episode down the line. A Sam Ziegler 2.0? Yeah, because this yeah. has been a tremendous education for me as someone that's not in that industry, but also recognizes the importance and works with a lot of clients that are in this space. So I fully intend, you know, and I think Aaron would probably agree. 100%. We need to have you back on a second time. So, Or we'll find somebody that's better than me. <laughs> I don't know about that. At this time, no. I think we'll have you back. <laughs> <laughs> You've been kind to us in our lack of knowledge. So thank you. And thank you all for watching or listening or hopefully watching. Don't forget you can watch. Uh, and make sure that you give us a five-star rating. Give us a, a shout-out on social media. You know, Hit up Sam or ourselves if you have questions or ideas when it comes to the podcast, green scene, whatever it might be. But thank you most of all for listening and watching and hope you have a great rest of your day. Cheers. Signing off.